Welcome to episode 64 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 9th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you doing, Corey? Brad, I'm doing so well. I'm so excited to be sitting down and doing this podcast with you today. And would you like to tell... I mean, I know everybody already knows why, but would you like to tell everybody why I'm so excited about this? I'm equally excited, my friend. I'm glad to hear that you're excited. It's going to be double excitement today. And yes, today is a big day. In lieu of our usual episode, dear listeners, you are now hearing the So Video Games 2017 Game of the Year extravaganza right here, right now. It has been a great 12 months. Some would say the best year of gaming ever. I'm not sure that I'd say that or that you would say that, but some have said that. People every people say that every single year. Every That's year. very true, but they really seem to kind of mean it this year. I don't know. Kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> in any event, in any event, 2017 is over. And now that it's wrapped up, it is time for Corey and I to share the titles that stood out the most for us. I dare say that our choices might be more than a little different than the usual five or so AAA games that seem to stack all the lists across the internet this year. But then again, um, I'm guessing, dear listeners, that's what you're here for. So, we've got a big, big show today with a lot to cover. In light of this, we are going to be skipping the standard format and there will be no post-show banter. Apologies to you banter fans, it'll be back next week. Instead, we are going to get right down to business and talk about the best of 2017. So, let's just get to it. To get things rolling, Corey, would you please uh, like to start us off by first explaining what we tend to look for in games, what we value as experiences, and what sort of criteria, if any, we had for these GOTY selections? I would love to. So, <clears throat> we had this idea that we would do just like a little bit of kind of like a primer for what we look for in games to talk about um you know like my preferences and brad's preferences and if you've been listening to the show for any length of time none probably none of this will come as a surprise to anybody the stuff that we're about to say but just to set the groundwork maybe this is your first time ever listening to the uh to the so video games game of the year show or our podcast in general I'm just going to set set the stage a little bit for what we like. So some of the stuff that I look for in games, um, I value a lot of originality in games. And I value um, a lot of, I, I find myself for the past maybe like five years or so valuing a lot of indie development um, because, I mean, I play a lot of AAA games, but I feel like I see more nuance and more risk-taking and more originality in indie games. And because I value those things, I tend to lean slightly more indie. And plus, um, as years go on, because uh, I'm predominantly a console gamer, um, although I do have a brand new gaming PC that my husband built over the past week, so I might be diving into PC gaming a little bit more. I'm predominantly a console gamer. And indies have been getting a much larger presence year after year on console games, so I've been like able to slide into them a lot more and play a lot more of them. But I value originality. Um, I value uh, like strategy in 
enemy encounters, if that makes sense. When I say that, I'm thinking of like Deus Ex or Prey or Dishonored, because those are my kinds of games where you have not a completely open world, but a pretty big open slice of a world that you can really explore. You can really um, kind of choose how you want to do things. Um, I value the option of not having to kill everything that's around you. I mean, I'm all for a game like Doom where it's just killing hell demons for the entire game, but I like having the choice, I guess, to make my own choices in the game, how I want to go through encounters, how I want to navigate spaces um, and explore them, and a decent amount of world building within those spaces because those kind of go hand in hand. If you have a game like Dishonored, for example, that tends to have a pretty big open slices of levels, there's kind of a lot of stuff going on in them. Um, and I also value, if I haven't said this yet, a good story. I love a good story. I love, um, like, every year I seem to be finding a couple video games that make me cry every year. Um, I believe, I, don't, I think this doesn't really need to be said, but I believe that video games are a very special frontier for new kinds of storytelling, um, you know, with player control and all of that. And especially now that we're getting into, for the past, like, five years or so, like, uh, narrative adventure games or walking simulators have become more popular. I love those. I love being able to just play through a, a linear story that was crafted for me and to experience it. And um, I really enjoy that. So I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit all over the place, but um, I don't like RPGs or JRPGs. I don't like racing games. I don't like sports games. Um, so don't expect to find any of those popping up on my list anywhere. Um, and I think that's it. Is there anything I left out? that you can think of for me, Brad, before we move on to your preferences? No, man. I mean, I think you covered it pretty well. I am trying to remember. I mean, you must have mentioned walking simulators in there at some point, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Right. Right at the tail. Yeah. Okay. Right on. So that, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. But no, I think you covered it pretty well. That sounds like a good summation. Anything else or does that, does that cover it? Uh, I think that covers it. Brad, would you like to lay the foundation for your game preferences now? Sure, sure. So kind of like you said, people who have listened to the show for a while probably already have a pretty good beat on me, or at least I hope so. Um, but as far as I go, there's a couple things that I just don't really play a lot of, and that's like, I don't play a lot of competitive PvP games. I don't play sports games. I don't play a lot of racing games. Um, so there's some genres that just is, are not going to get um, a lot of play for me in general. So if you're a fan of one of those genres, um, I can't imagine that you're still listening to the show, but <laughs> if you are, don't expect anything out of those categories. Uh, also, graphics are not really, like, a very big factor for me. Like, I know some people really live and breathe on, like, how pretty something is. And I like graphics. I mean, don't get me wrong. A game has to take that into account because they are video games. So graphics are definitely a part. But they are not the biggest part for me. Um, instead, I tend to value uh, characters, good characters, memorable characters, strong writing, natural writing, uh, interesting storytelling, and uh, most of all, original concepts. Um I like things that are new, that are interesting, that are pushing boundaries in different ways. Uh, as someone who's been around for a while and has played a lot of games and has been in the review game for quite a while, I like to see something that is just fresh and new. Um, so that counts for a lot. Uh, also, I will let a lot of stuff slide in terms of jankiness or lack of polish. I mean, if a game can connect with me on a personal level and show me something, got some spark, some heart, some love from the developers or something about it that makes it stand out, I can definitely let a lot of uh, rough edges go. It's not that big a deal to me. That said, um, just to reiterate, I do have a lot of respect for technical excellence. There's one or two titles I may be talking about today which really excel in that department. Um, but the, it just can't be the only thing that a game has. Like, it can't just be a perfectly crafted game. Like, there's got to be more to it. Like, it can't just be graphics and control. It's got to be 
story or concept or gameplay hook or something else about it. Like it cannot just be finely crafted. So that's where I'm coming from. I think that'll show through in the, the games that I will choose uh, today. I'm sure that we will see Corey's choice very clearly outlined in his choices. Um, so we're going to get to that in just one second, but we do have a very brief pre-show warm-up segment. Um, before we get to the actual top 10, uh, we did want to chat a little bit about a few things that didn't quite make the cut. We thought about doing like an also ran or, you know, other, other ways to include games that we want to talk about that weren't specifically top 10. Um, so this is what we're going to do just really briefly. It's not huge, but we are going to start with some random categories and get our juices flowing before we hit the top 10. So, um, I believe we've got three categories and we're going to start on a negative note, since this is so video games, I mean, what oh, else boy. would we do? We'd have to. We have to start a negative <laughs> note. It's got to be. So uh, let's start off negative. Corey, uh, most disappointing game of 2017. What what's what got you down this year? Oh, so after I say this, I know half the people listening are just going to turn the show off immediately. Oh, shit. But uh, and I'm only saying this because, honestly, the most disappointing game I played this year was near Automata. Oh! I know, I'm sorry. I'm not, like, I don't want to be that guy, but, like, when this game came out, I was only, like, tangentially interested in it, and then everyone on the internet was like, this is one of the best games I've ever played. The story is so compelling. It has so much to say about the human condition and about, you know, what is humanity and blah, blah, blah. And it's like now in my top three of all time and all of this stuff. And I mean, I don't want to rehash old content because you and I have kind of talked this game to death. But long story short, I gave this game the biggest benefit of the doubt I possibly could. I mean, everybody and their mother says, oh, well, you have to play it X amount of times before it gets good. Because the whole, like, hook of this game is that you have to play through it, I don't know, like, five or six or seven or 52 times or whatever before it starts getting good. And <laughs> I made it halfway through the third playthrough. I played through the first playthrough, which was kind of interesting. The second playthrough, which was just the first playthrough copied and pasted, which was boring as fuck. And then the third playthrough, which started to get a little bit interesting. But there was a segment where so many bad game design decisions uh, compounded on each other into a segment that I could not finish that I kept dying at, which I later figured out that scenario would lead to the a cutscene of the character's death anyway. And like, I just don't stand for that kind of bullshit in video games. Like it was so horribly designed. And then if you're just gonna kill the character off anyway, um, after me dying in canon in the game several times, like I couldn't put up with it. I gave it the biggest benefit of the doubt I could. I stopped playing it. I sent it back to Gamefly and it was after all of the hype, I was prepared to welcome that game with open arms and love it as much as I possibly could. And I now I mean, now I'm calling it the most disappointing game I played all year. So we obviously see how that turned out. Damn, we are starting the show off with a fucking bang. That is a bombshell mm. pick. I know a lot of people love that game more than anything this year. Um, That was actually not my pick, but I'm really glad you said that because, I mean, I considered it, and that was actually one of the games I was incredibly disappointed in. I mean, I was um, a staunch defender of the first Nier for many years. I tried to get a lot of people to play it, and I talked about it many times uh, because when the first Nier came out, if people don't remember, there was a Nier before uh, Automata or Automata or however, and that game I thought was brilliant and a lot of good things, a lot of the same themes uh, but it was just a wonderful piece of software, and it just got totally shat upon by basically everybody. So I kind of fought that fight for a while. Uh, 
And if anybody would have been ready to love uh, the new Nier, it would have been me. And I just, it just did not get there for me. Um, the repetition, like you said, killed it. And uh, I just was like incredibly disappointed. Um, so sad times, sad times. I, I wish that would have been better. But that's not my pick. My pick actually for most disappointing of 2017, this is kind of a bogus pick because to be perfectly frank with you, I did not expect it to be good. And so therefore when it wasn't good, I really wasn't disappointed, but I am kind of disappointed because <laughs> I wanted it to be good, you know? I mean, the only choice that's possible for me right now, Mass Effect Andromeda. I mean, that game, complete shit pile. Nothing was good about it. Terrible launch, terrible script, terrible characters. I've seen a lot of people who say they love this game, but I, I got to be honest. I mean, it seems like you guys are just really so desperate for a new Mass Effect that you're willing to take anything because this is not good. It is not a good game. It is not good writing. It is not good plotting. I just, I, you know, I, I am one of the biggest Mass Effect fans out there. The original trilogy, I love those games. I mean, those are like really formative, deeply connected. Like, I, I love those games. I mean, they're so great. And this just, I mean, I just can't even express the disappointment of somebody getting handed like one of the best IPs in gaming. Like, hands down. Hands down, one of the best IPs in gaming. And they just completely fucked that thing over. I mean, I know there's a lot of articles out there about what went wrong. And, you know, a lot of it is on EA's shoulders for making a lot of decisions which hurt the development team. You know, lack of money, lack of resources, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't, whatever. I mean, who knows? A thousand different reasons why that game didn't turn out the way that it should have turned out. But bottom line, I mean, if you're going to turn out a sequel, if you're going to step to a trilogy as tight and as well-loved and as powerful as the original Mass Effect, you better bring your fucking A game. And this was not even on the report card. It was really, really, really bad. I, this game doesn't exist for me anymore. I don't, I don't acknowledge it. And hopefully at some point in the future, someone will do something interesting with the IP. Uh, but this thing is just, it's, you know, it's erased by memory and I'm really sad. Most disappointing of 2017 by a mile. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's move on. This is kind of a weird category, um, but kind of a fun one also. Uh, best DLC. Corey, do you have a choice for best DLC of the year? You snuck this category in on me, and it kind of surprised me, but I do have I have one and a half answers prepared. 1.5. Man is on <clears throat> top of it. All right. 1.5. And literally only because I'm looking down my list of games that I played this year, and I can immediately pinpoint um, two of them. I have like... My, my half-ass answer is um, Dishonored Death of the Outsider, and I'm only saying that's a half-ass answer because technically it's like a standalone game that you can buy, so I don't know if I would call it DLC per se, but it's really good. It's more Dishonored. It stars Billy Lurk, who's a really interesting character. There's not... I mean, I'm going to go backpedal because there's not really anything super special about this this entry like it's kind of like if you've played any dishonored it's just more of that but it's really good but my technical answer for this um and i'm glad i get to bring this up because it came out in like march and i feel like nobody played it and nobody remembers it is the uh last dlc episode for deus ex mankind divided it's called a criminal past and it is actual dlc it's not like a standalone God, dude i forgot that even came out this year holy shit or last I year, I mean. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it had come out. Um, it, they had three, I think Deus Ex Mankind Divided had three. No, it had two DLCs. It had um, one that had Pritchard from Human Revolution in it. And then A Criminal Past was their kind of last one. 
And, I mean, kind of the same thing with Dishonored. If you're familiar with Deus Ex Human Revolution or Mankind Divided in any capacity, it's basically just more of the same. But it's like a Chronicles of Riddick, like, Butcher Bay-style DLC where you're, like, in this, uh, you know, maximum security prison. You're talking to prison inmates. You're trying to, like, figure out the lay of the land. And then you have to try to escape. And, of course, in true Deus Ex fashion, you can murder everyone on site you can sneak around you can sneak past everybody you can knock everyone out on site you know you can um, talk to people and make smart conversation decisions to get through it but it's just a really good i really like the mankind divided uh like uh, extra episodes in dlc because it's like you get the full experience of the game without having to play it for 20 30 40 hours it's like a maybe a 10 to 15 hour little slice of everything that makes the game great, but it's just in a smaller package. And I just really like it. Um, I like that DLC. So that is my pick. Right on. That is a good pick. I totally had forgotten. Like I said, wow. So good on you for remembering that came out. Um, As for me, I am going to pick Shovel Knight's Spectre of Torment DLC. Uh, I talked about this on the show before. Uh, I think this is a wonderful piece of DLC. Now, this is not standalone. You do need to actually have the core Shovel Knight experience. And to be perfectly frank, I wasn't really the biggest fan of Shovel Knight. Like, I I originally came around to it. Uh, But it was just okay. But honestly, I think the DLCs that have come afterwards are actually better than the core content. And I think Spectre of Torment is the best one so far. Um, The thing that I like most about it is that it takes the core Shovel Knight experience of being kind of like a, you know, like a faux old school platformer, but kind of updated with some modern sensibilities. And like it kind of like you said, it kind of gives you like the the best experience in a very condensed package. Um, it cuts away like all the fat. Like you just get in, you do the levels. There's a little bit of a hub level, but not much to do there. So like they really want you just playing the game and they really focus on Spectre Knight actually doing his moves and levels. And they've given him a completely different move set. He um, has like a hook, I think, and he can like glide. And the way that he feels moving around the environments is totally different from Shovel Knight. And it's also totally different from the previous DLC, which was Plague Knight. So they've done a really good job of iterating on like the core concept of being this type of platformer, but they have done something fresh every single time. And I think that they are really, really um, polishing their shit up really well. I mean, I think Spectre Knight, it was just a joy to play him as a character because he was so mobile and the way that he could get around each level was just fun. Like it was just straight up fun to like jump and glide and dash and just get around. I mean, it was just simply fun to move him around, which I think is something that's um, very special. And I just really appreciated that like, it was all killer, no filler. Like you get in, you do the levels. Um, there's a little bit of storyline, just enough to keep you going. And that was fine for me. I didn't need more than that. And it just gave you like a very condensed, dense, rich package of um, Shovel Knighty goodness. So Yacht Club Games really did a great job on Spectre Torment. And I think for me, that is probably the best part of the Shovel Knight experience so far. So I loved, loved Spectre Torment. Best DLC. Uh, moving on, uh, we got two more categories before we get to the main events. Uh, next category, biggest surprise. Corey, what was the biggest surprise for you? I feel <clears throat> like an idiot because I'm the one that came up with this category. And then I just realized that some of the games that I was originally going to talk about were like already in my top 10 for this category. So I just scrambled real quick and picked out a different game that's not in my top 10 because I don't want to like overlap games here. But... I think uh, my biggest surprise is probably um, 
we talked about this game called Leaving Lindau on yes, PlayStation Four. Yes, um, and it can, like it's this is what I love about indie about indie games is that they come out of nowhere and they can leave such a big impression on you. And Leaving Lindau is it's I found it on PSN one day. I was just you know maybe once once a week, once every two weeks, I'll go through the new games list and just see what's there. And it was. It was like four or five dollars. wasn't on sale. Just totally cheap, um, and it's just a walking simulator. It's like a one and a half to two hour experience. You play as a character in this kind of like mythical, um, like wood, like kind of like village in the woods kind of thing, um, where you have just been accepted into this uh, kind of like an academy, and you're basically going through all of like the village areas. And kind of, like, doing, like, your last goodbyes and, like, seeing the village for the last time and talking to people who are in the village about, um, you know, going off to this, like, this thing, this, like, uh, university or whatever and about stuff that had happened in your past. And really, the game just came out of nowhere. And it's a very short and sweet experience. And I really loved it. Um, I mean, I don't want to, like super duper use this moment to, like, dig on anything, on any other games, but... In my every game that I play over a year, I keep them all ranked from top to bottom in uh, in a, on a list on my phone. And I have Leaving Lindau ranked above Mass Effect Andromeda and Destiny 2. So, like, there's something. I think this game is more powerful. It's more interesting. It's more... Um, has a better story. I j- it just made a bigger impression on me than either of those games. And those are two, like, you know, AAA releases, if you will, Um but I just liked it. It came out of nowhere. It left an impression on me. And I think it's just a really lovely little game. I have that on my um, wish list for PSN. That's a pretty short one, though, isn't it? How long is that? Like, do you remember altogether how long it took you? Like two hours or something like that? Like two hours max. Probably like like an hour, maybe. Like somewhere in there. All right. I got to get to that. I still have it on my list. I got to get to that. That is a good pick. Uh, and also a surprise. Surprise to you. Surprise to me. <laughs> Um, my biggest surprise of the year, I'm going to go a little bit more meta than, uh, than picking just one game, but I'm going to talk about the switch, uh, and the, specifically the switch becoming the new Vita when it comes to indies. Um, I'm a big fan of indie games, always have been, but, uh, the problem with being an indie game fan is that I'm also a console player. I don't like to play games on the PC. Something about my karma, like causes me great difficulty when I try to do things of a technical nature. <laughs> That includes PC games. I know people say, oh, Steam is so easy or Itch is so easy and all these things are easy and it's no no big deal. But it is it is a big deal for me because inevitably, I mean, I should be a fucking bug tester or something because whenever I sit down with a piece of software, something goes wrong every single time <laughs> and I don't know how to fix it. Like, despite the fact that I have glasses and people assume that I'm some kind of nerd, like, I don't know shit about computers. <laughs> so, like, I can't fix anything. It's really frustrating. So I'm a, I'm a console player, but I still love indies. For those reasons... Um, the Vita was something that I fell in love with when that came out. And I've still to this day still loving the Vita. I mean, there's so many great indies on that platform and it's so friendly and, you know, dummy proof for somebody like me that I can play it and not worry about the technical side. And I mean, of course, you know, Sony famously kind of sundowned the, the Vita like last year, or the year before, whatever it was. They never took care of it in the first place. They never treated it right, which is a shame. But that's a whole other show. But I was really concerned about how, where was I going to get my indie fix? I mean, there's a few things that pop up on the Xbox One and PS4, but, you know, not everything comes to those platforms, and I was really kind of concerned about it. But I got to say, the Switch has really come through. I mean, not only is the Switch a great console in general, and we've mentioned it several times, I really enjoy my Switch, but it is 
rapidly becoming the new de facto Vita. Um, I'm seeing lots of indies show up on there. I played a lot of really good indie games on the uh, Switch. I have a lot more coming up in 2018. And I could not be happier because I am not one of those guys that wants every single game on Earth to be on the Switch. Like, there are some things which I just, it doesn't have the horsepower for. And some things, like, I just don't want to play on that platform. Some things I would much rather play on the PS4 or, you know, I guess the Xbox One, whatever, but mostly on the PS4. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you got your big TV, you got your comfortable setup, and some things just feel like a better fit for that kind of a, uh, of a setup. And to me, the Vita feels perfect for indies. Like, they're smaller, they usually are not graphical powerhouses, take them on the go, shorter experiences in general. So I'm really glad that in the past, it used to be indies would always be PC and Vita, PC and Vita, PC and Vita. And now it seems like it's PC and Switch. So I'm glad that there is something besides PC, and I feel like the Switch is really the best place to be that uh, receptacle for those indies. And that is really surprising, but pleasantly surprising. I'm really happy to see that the Switch has kind of stepped into that role. So very, very happy about that. Um, one last random category, and this is a very special category. I think that we're probably going to be doing this one for, for next year as well. Uh, this will be an annual tradition, I'm sure. The Corey Motley Award for Mediocre Game He Still Recommends Playing. So that's a very, very specific, very specific category. I think it's only right that you go first on this one, Corey. I would love to. And I picked this, I mean, I, I, I let me just, you know, brush my shoulder off because I invented this category and everything. Um, I basically thought about this category for games that are not in my top 10 that are kind of like right in the middle of my ranked list of games that still left an impression on me that still had high points that I thought were interesting, but weren't like necessarily games that I would like put in my top 10. I mean, just like it says. So I just have a few quick picks for this. Um, the first one is Narcosis. Narcosis came out of nowhere. I had no idea what it was. It is a first person... Uh, kind of like horror walking simulator that is, you're in an underwater uh, like research facility and this is the game if anybody listened to the show where I talked about this this is the game with the fucking spider crabs and I hate spider crabs <laughs> and they're really scary and this game actually this I think this game um maybe like tied with like Resident Evil 7 for how much it scared me and wow it, it had, I you really don't like those mm, fucking crabs narcosis man it was so scary like honestly and i mean it tapped into a very specific fear of mine which is spider crabs giant spider crabs and so it, it definitely like went there and i was terrified of it but uh that's my first pick my second pick is uncanny valley which is also a horror game it's kind of like a pixel style uh 2d side scrolling it's almost like a roguelike because Basically, when you finish it or when you die, you have to start all the way over at the beginning. But it's like a little too long of a campaign for me to consider it like a real roguelike because it takes maybe like 30 minutes to an hour to finish it. And then you have to start all the way over. But there are some moments of pure terror and uncanny valley that really freaked me out. The level design is really creepy. The sound design is really creepy. There's just a lot of stuff happening in that game. If you go down certain avenues, it's incredibly creepy. Um, really just kind of got under my skin and stuff that really kind of uh, makes my skin crawl just thinking about it to this day. Um, so those two, my third pick is, and my last pick for this is uh, The Last Day of June. Um, I reviewed Last Day of June for Game Critics. It is the game that looks like a painting. It's very oversaturated with like bright purples and yellows. And it kind of looks like if a Tim Burton movie and a painting and a video game all had like an orgy, like this is what would come out of it. <laughs> Jesus. And and it's and this game is uh 
it, it kind of is repetitive in the middle. I talked about it on the show before. I think it overstays its welcome a little bit too long, but it's still really charming. It's endearing. It's sincere. I cried at the end of it. It's just, it's not like top 10 category for me, but it's still a really moving experience when you take it all in, you know, from top to bottom together. And it's just, it just felt really special when I got to the end of it, but there's just some like elasticity in the middle that makes it last a little bit too long, but I still recommend it. Well, those are all really good picks, um, especially I'm going to be digging into Uncanny Valley. I picked that one up on PSN sale for like a couple bucks. I remember you talking about that one. Looking forward to that. But now that I'm listening to your picks, would it be fair to say that these games were maybe like like a little bit better than Mediocre? Because it sounds like when you're describing, like they all sound pretty good. Would that be fair to say? I mean, that's true. They are... They're better than mediocre. They're just happen to be in the middle of my ranked list. So I feel like that's like the mediocre zone. But I mean, they're not. Yeah, they're not mediocre. They're like maybe like five to seven scores if we're doing scores for them, maybe. Okay, cool, cool. So I have a couple that might probably fall into the same range. But I have um, one that I think is actually really, really excellent. And I struggled whether I should actually include it in my top 10. So the first one that I'll mention is actually top 10 worthy, but for various reasons, I ended up not including it in my top 10. And I'm still thinking about maybe I made the wrong choice on that, but we're just going (laughs) to roll with what I got. So I want to mention that one first. This one is absolutely not mediocre. It's SteamWorld Dig 2 from Image and Form. Uh, These guys are great developers. Every game they make is great. They have literally not made a bad game ever. And this one continues that tradition. You play as a little robot digging down into the earth. So it's kind of like a platformer. It's kind of like Dig Dug. It's kind of like um, Metroidvania a little bit, but it's really cute. And it connects in with the shared universe that all of their games um, share, where everyone is like a steam-powered robot. So even though the genres can be different, they all kind of connect up in some way or another. Uh, SteamWorld Dig 2 is just, it's a delight. It is really, really great. It's really, really good. Like I said, it could have been in my top 10, almost was. Maybe should have been. Uh, so that's really an excellent one. Definitely not mediocre. Uh, the other ones I want to call out really quickly. Uh, uh, the first one is Rime, R-I-M-E. We talked about this in the show. This one is a story of a boy who's kind of like exploring this kind of strange fantasy world. Did you play Rime, Corey? I can't remember. Yeah, I played it. We talked about it. Okay, I thought so. I thought so. Um, this one is really good. A lot of really strong moments. I think that overall, I really wish the narrative would have hung together a little more tightly and it could have delivered a real gut punch at the end. I mean, it was emotional as it was, but I think a lot of the gameplay segments had, had struggles trying to cohere to the overall message, Um, but still a very cool um, experience. And one that I do recommend if you like puzzle games or like, you know, eco style kind of things or walking simulators. So rhyme was really good. Didn't make my cut this year, but still really good. And the last one, uh, was Air, A-E-R. I actually really loved this one a lot. And this was another one that I thought about having in my top 10, but I, I did not allow for one reason or another. This is one where you play as a girl who can transform into a bird, and she lives in this world that's made up of floating islands. Um, it's very open and freeform. You can fly wherever you want to with no limits. And so it's all just about exploring her world, figuring out what's going on. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. The art style is absolutely beautiful. The freedom of being the bird and flying around wherever you want with no limits is just is wonderful. I love that feeling. Uh, and again, kind of like Rhyme, if the story had had a little bit more of a punch at the end, I think I would have ranked it higher. But I think that even though the story was was OK, there were a few little narrative missteps. 
And because you could go anywhere in the world at any time, sometimes I think that kind of hamstrung the development team because they could not be sure of which story segment you would see first, because if you went to the far end of the world instead of the near end, you would see things in reverse order, so that might not make sense. So they had to craft things in a way that would make sense no matter where you went to, which is fine, but I think it kind of held the story back from being as powerful as it could have been, which was kind of a shame. So, But still, I still recommend it. I still love this game. I'm really glad I played it this year. So overall, my three picks for the uh, games you still should play are Air, SteamWorld Dig 2, and rhyme so that brings us to the end of our random categories something that i meant to mention earlier and i forgot to but i will mention now is okay so first i need to ask you a question cory motley um i told you previous to recording that i was going to post my top 10 on game critics um because that's when we were doing it did you by any chance peek at my list or is this going to be a surprise to you this is a surprise. I did not want to know what your top 10 were going into this podcast. Okay, excellent. I don't know what your top 10 are either, and that's what I was going to mention. We've got a script. We've got notes and we've got outlines, but when it comes to the actual top 10 slots, it's all blank. So um, Corey has not looked at my top 10 list, which is posted at Game Critics. I do not know what his top 10 are going to be. So this is going to be a surprise for both of us. I'm very, very much looking forward to this, <laughs> and... I wanted you listeners to know that we didn't know either. So we're all going to be equally surprised. This will be a very special event. So, um, yeah, let's get to it. It is time for the top 10 of 2017. Um, as most lists do, we will be starting at number 10 and working our way backwards towards number one. So let's get into it. Let's kick things off. Choices for number 10. Number 10 of 2017. Corey, what is your number 10? My number 10. And just to be clear... Before we move in, some slight ground rules. I am only counting games that I finished, if they are finishable, and I think every game I played is finishable. And I played a total of 35 games this year. I finished 27 of them. Pretty good. So, Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, you know, looking for any awards or anything, but um, just so everybody knows. Because uh, Brad and I don't really... We don't have, like, um, like a... Like rules that we go by this is just our own thing um and we we don't award like a so video games game of the year this is just our top 10 but those are just a couple of the rules that i stick to um but we'll get started my number 10 is uh i'm expecting maybe a sigh from you whenever i say this oh no oh no go ahead my number 10 is horizon zero dawn (laughs) (laughs) you bastard okay let's hear it let's hear it (laughs) Uh, I mean, I I don't think this game is, like, amazing, but I think it's good. It kept, like, I'm not a fan of fully open world games. I think that they had their heyday. I'd, I'm not really into them anymore. I think, you know, I prefer shorter games or games that have, like, like I said earlier, like, Dishonored or Deus Ex that have, like, slight open worlds that you can explore, but not, like, full-on go anywhere in a giant map anytime. And I played all of this game, and I mean, a lot of it is stuff that I've played before. You know, most open-world games follow a very similar template. You go to this person, you get this mission, you go do the mission, you go back to that person, you get your reward, rinse and repeat, you know, 50 times and the game is over. But with all that said, um, I think this game is very good. It, I mean, I finished it, so that's saying something, because I'm not really like a big open-world game kind of guy. Played the whole thing. I think that the um, it's really refreshing, you know, playing as Aloy. I think she's a pretty great character. She 
uh, doesn't really take any shit from anybody. She's strong, but she's also emotional. She, um, you know, is inquisitive. She's, uh, she's, um, you know, a problem solver. She's just a pretty interesting character. The probably the most interesting thing in the game for me is the uh, the enemy design because I mean for those who know this game kind of like the main like thing about it is that the enemies are like kind of like a cross between like dinosaurs and robots so you know some of them look like like a robotic giraffe with like a uh, a satellite dish for its head or like a raptor you know with kind of like a um, like a, a Borg kind of thing going on or something. Um, and uh, and I think that the 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 enemy design is really interesting. I think that the game looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, I mean, part of the reason why I love this game so much is because this is one of the first games I played after I got a PlayStation Four Pro and a four K TV. So I was able to play it like and have it look as amazing as it possibly could on all of the best hardware. And it truly does look incredible. Um, I liked hunting the dinosaur robots. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, going on these massive hunts in the world against these giant like you know, Triceratops-looking um, robot dinosaur things, um, you know, was pretty thrilling more often than not. Um, but because it's on my top, you know, at the end of my top 10, like, obviously, it's nowhere near, like, the greatest game I've played this year, I mean, within the top 10. But I definitely think it's good enough. I thought it was interesting. It kept me engaged. Um, you know, I finished it, it being an open, a long open-world game, which I'm not really into. The level design's good. It's gorgeous. It has a pretty good leading character. Um, so those are my reasons. Excellent, excellent. Uh, okay, that is your number 10. Coming to my number 10, I selected Neo by Team Ninja. Did you, by chance, ever... You probably didn't play this one this year, did you? I played, like, the little demo beta thing that they had a long time right, ago. Right, 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 right. And that was... So I got, like, a really small slice taste of it, and I'm pretty sure that's the, the only bit of it that I played. Okay, no worries, no worries. Um, so I selected Neo um, for a number of reasons. I mean, first, uh, you know, I'm a fan of the of the Souls games, um, and I'm interested in seeing where developers take those ideas and apply them to their future work. I mean, I don't think anyone. I mean, regardless of your feelings on Souls, I think it's it's impossible to deny that it's been very impactful on the industry in a number of ways. There's been a number of clones already, and I don't think very many of them are very successful. I think they kind of ape the the style or the choices but without really understanding what makes them work and not many of them have been successful but this one i feel like is probably for me anyway the first souls like which actually breaks away from the ground that fromsoft has broken and creates something that can stand on its own i think this is a fine game in its own right i don't think that you need to have an appreciation for souls in order to appreciate this game and honestly i think this is probably team ninja's best work ever and yes i do know that they made ninja gaiden i hate those fucking games we don't need to have that discussion again i get a lot of shit for that uh, <laughs> online i know you're a fan also Corey, but uh i think this is their best work uh i think that the the core ideas of like being a third person uh, action adventure rpg are really well fleshed out it's got its own flavor thanks to not only the Japanese setting, but also um, the different spins on the formula. Like, um, instead of being committed to one weapon and kind of spending a lot of time working on that, they really want you to change weapons all the time. They've got a really uh, neat loot system, which keeps things fresh, and so you're constantly cycling through things, and they don't want you to get too attached to any one particular thing. Uh, lots of different types of weapons, so, like, every time you get a new one, it's almost like learning a brand new game, and they all feel very different. They all have their pluses and minuses. 
Um, I think it's really, really great. Very well designed. The story was kind of nonsense, but it was so compelling <laughs> to play in a just like in a, in a kinetic sense and just like just getting in the levels, dodging, slashing, you know, rolling, doing some magic. I mean, just the, the moment to moment gameplay I felt was really strong. Um, so I really enjoyed it all, all the way through. I did complete this game and it's a pretty long game um, when it comes to uh, action games. Really, really long. But I thought it remained engaging and interesting all the way through. I'm really glad I played it. And in fact, uh, it would have ranked a lot higher except for the DLC. This is one case where the DLC actually brought it down. Um, on the plus side, they, they released three DLC packs. Each DLC added one new weapon, which was actually pretty major because these weapons are so distinct and different from each other that getting a brand new weapon is like getting a whole new way to play the game. So that's cool. Really like that a lot. But the downside is that they went back to their old sneaky, sneaky Tim Ninja ways, and they just got brutal fucking difficulty right up the ass, and it was just not good. I mean, these DLCs were so offensive, so difficult, so cheap, so just like, oh, just so rage-inducing that I uh, could not finish any of them. I really didn't like them. As others have pointed out on Twitter, um, they seem almost designed for co-op play, which is possible in this game. But I didn't always have a co-op partner, and when I did try to get a rando through co-op, we were not often on the same page, and so it didn't really work out too well. And I was really frustrated that I could play through the entire campaign single-player and have a great time, and then get to the DLC and just be totally, just brutally murdered. Um, it's very difficult. It's not enjoyable difficult. It's, like, crazy difficult, and I did not like that at all. So if not for those DLCs, this one would have ranked much higher in my list, but because it ended on that sour note, I had to bump it down quite a few pegs but the core campaign still great still love the core campaign so neo is my number 10 uh let us move on to number nine Corey, what did you select as number nine of 2017 number nine for me is observer which Ooh. is yeah this is a bloober team which is i stand by the dumbest developer name Bluber ever. That is a fucking dumb Bluber name. Team. That has a bad name. <laughs> this is Bluber Teams. Uh, I think it's only their second game. I'm pretty sure their first game was Layers of Fear, which came out last year. I really enjoyed Layers of Fear. It was a uh, you know first-person horror game, kind of in the vein of like PT, uh, where you were in this scary uh, artist's mansion, you know, going through his stuff, you know, finding childhood memories and stuff like that, and. Um, so they teased Observer like two E3s ago, and it was supposed to be like kind of the same setup, first person horror, but it was in like a cyberpunk universe where you could like do sort of like a ghost in the shell style, like jacking into people's brains and like hacking their brains and living through their memories and, um, you know, trying to solve cases as this detective. And ultimately observer left me slightly disappointed because the premise sounded so good but when i finally got my hands on it it wasn't exactly what i thought it was going to be and it wasn't as good as i thought it was going to be but i still think it had enough um enough interesting world building enough flavor enough intrigue and enough uh, like intense segments that I mean I obviously it's on my top 10 so here I am you know trying really hard to qualify it but I think it's a really interesting game I think it um you know it's it's kind of one of those games where like the world building and like the side questy stuff and like the flavor and the universe that it's built in is more interesting than anything that the main quest is actually doing 
So I think through just like the flavor of the world, the people that um, live in the world and some of the interesting situations you get yourself into and like side quest situations, um, you know, that kind of caused me to raise my eyebrow uh, more than a few times are what made this game stick with me um, toward or throughout the rest of the year. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool. That was number nine, Observer. Uh, my number nine this year is Exmorph Defense. Um, this may be kind of an unusual pick because there's not much of a story, not much of a character thing going on. It's pretty much a straight-up gameplay game. But these guys, uh, the team behind Exmorph Defense, have taken the active tower defense genre, which is, you know, it's it's basically tower defense, except for you have an avatar that you can move around the battlefield. So you're not strictly limited to just setting up towers. You can actually set up towers and then take action with your character if you need to do something. Um, they've taken this active tower defense genre. And this is, I mean, for my money, this is the most perfect, best active tower defense like ever created out of all of them ever of all time. So it's not a huge genre, but out of the ones I've played, this one is head and shoulders above all the rest. Uh, part of that is because they've the developers really trust in their game design. Some games really put a lot of artificial limits on the player to kind of hamstring you, to prevent you from doing things that you'd want to do, or to prevent you from doing things that would make the game too easy. These guys do not do that. They're like, fuck that. We want to give you all the tools at your disposal. There are basically no limits. Like, they don't nickel and dime you for resources. They let you move things around. You don't have to commit to anything. You, your character is a ship, which can transform into different modes, so you don't have to commit to any specific build. Uh, restarting is really easy. There are checkpoints in the missions. I mean, they basically give you every single thing they can possibly give you to say, we want you to play this game, to engage with it as fully as possible, and just enjoy what we've done here. And that is a really bold choice, and it really pays off for them because their design is so strong. Like, I just, I could do whatever I wanted to do within the confines of the genre. I could do a lot more with this game than other games would let me, and I just really enjoyed having as much freedom as possible to you know, protect my base from the encroaching aliens, or, uh, or excuse me, the encroaching humans, because you play the alien in this game. And I just, I just loved how freeing it was. Um, the flexibility was great. I mean, on top of that, I mean, I think technically it was very, very well done. The graphics were beautiful. All the collision and stuff was really nice. They give you a lot of um, UI that worked really well for the formula. I mean, everything about this game is just absolutely perfect. Um, I, I loved it. They even managed to work in some really cool boss battles, which is kind of unusual for the genre. So, I mean, every single thing about this game is basically perfect. And if you like the active tower defense genre, this is the best one ever. So I was really surprised by this because although I like the genre, I wouldn't say that I love it. But this one really knocked my socks off. I couldn't stop playing it. I was like addicted to this until I, I got to the end of the campaign and I thought it was wonderful. So Exmorph Defense, I think the best active tower defense ever. Good job, developers. This one is fantastic. Uh, that brings us to number eight. Corey, what is your number eight of 2017? You know, Brad, I'm beginning to suspect that there will be only one game, and I think we both know it, that is going to cross over in both of our top ten lists. I think you are correct, sir, and I already know what that <laughs> game is. There can only be one, just like Highlander. <laughs> Indeed. Um which, I mean, maybe this will be interesting for people listening to the show because we have two almost entirely different top ten lists for the show. I think that's great. I think that really shows a diverse taste, diverse, uh, 
you know, inclination towards gameplay. I mean, it's giving our listeners like a whole bunch of extra games they can check out if they sound interesting. I'm, I'm happy with this so far. I'm digging this. I am too, because I'm really tired of seeing top 10 lists that are like Zelda, Mario, Zelda, Mario, Horizon, Zelda, Horizon, because that's pretty much every other top 10 list. Oh, yeah. and Nier, that's in there a lot too. Totally. Yeah, not to cash in or anything, but I guess I'll cast a little bit. And it's like, yeah, when I was scanning some other top 10s, I mean, if you like games, you like games, you pick what you want to pick. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not down on anybody, but like I was scanning a bunch of top 10s before we got to the show. And it was like, wow, a lot of them are pretty cookie cutter. So I'm really glad that we're able to bring something new uh, to our listeners. Not, you know, I'm not trying to like toot our horns and say that we're superior or anything. I mean, if we are, that's great, but I'm not trying to say that out loud, but you know, I'm glad we've got a little diversity in here. That is true. Well, um, all right, let's move on to number eight then. Number eight. Uh, my number, number eight for me um, is another one of those indie games that came out of nowhere that I didn't know anything about, and then I played it and I reviewed it, and it was really just like the right game for the right time that I really got into that I thought was interesting, and that is Kona, which I played on the PlayStation 4. This was a Kickstarter game. I didn't know that whenever I played it, but it was a Kickstarter-funded game. It is a... First person, um, sort of like um, investigative adventure where you play as a guy who's in northern Canada. It's very snowy. You're sent to go. I I think the premise of the game, because it kind of it goes away from the premise very quickly whenever you start playing it. But you're hired to be like a private investigator and bodyguard for this kind of like rich guy who lives in this like big family um, in northern Canada, and whenever you get there, the situation you were supposed to get there for ends up being something completely different. It turns into this big kind of, like, murder mystery thing, and the town is... Um, the town that you're uh, exploring is... Um, that there's nobody there. It's abandoned. And, I mean, part of it is, like, a walking simulator because you're just, like, walking through these areas and investigating. But it's a lot more than that because it's a slice of open world. There's a pretty big area for you to go around in. You can ride like um like a truck or you, there's like a snow vehicle thing you can uh, build and ride on and you can explore the places of the the village in any order you want there's a very slight supernatural twists that kind of come here and there in it but it's not overbearing and it's not super ridiculous but um i think in my review i referred to it something as like it's like a looking through people's houses simulator or something. And I mean, that might not sound very interesting to a lot of people. And I don't expect this to be the kind of game that like everybody, you know, is going to hear me talk about and be like, wow, I really need to play this. But it was just the right game at the right time for me. I enjoyed exploring the village, um, investigating the mystery, sort of getting down and dirty with these people's like houses and learning about them and just exploring everything and figuring out what happened and kind of putting the pieces together and, I, uh, this is like a perfect example of, you know, like a lot of games on my list, just a little indie that came out of nowhere that I had no idea what it was. And it just left a pretty big impression on me. Excellent. Yeah. I remember you liking this one when we talked about it earlier on the show, not my jam, but I'm glad that you liked it. And I love when, when you get like the right game at the right time, that is just such a wonderful thing when it happens. I love when that happens. So I'm glad that you clicked into this one. Uh, my number eight, <clears throat> I don't want to say it was the right game at the right time, I think, because I, I fucking hated this game when I first played it. Oh, no. It's one of those ones that I actively hated. And in fact, if you go back, I don't know which episode it was on, but I actually had an anecdote where I kind of had a really negative experience with one of the, one of the, develop, of the developers. Sorry, I can't talk right now. Yeah, I had an anecdote because I met one of the developers at PAX and I had a really bad experience talking to them. And I thought that was just like, oh, man. 
uh, this is really awkward and I don't know if I even want to try your game now because that sucked. <laughs> but I ended up did trying the game and despite that negative interaction I had with them, it ended up being a really, really cool game, which I liked a lot. It's Cryptarch. Cryptarch, uh, played it on PS4, but it's on a bunch of other systems as well. 2D roguelike where you play as a, a freelance kind of salvage person and you have a variety of different uh, mecha suits that you can use and you're flying into these giant abandoned Space Hulk ships that are all protected by like these weird security systems and stuff. So you have to like break into these ships, get inside, avoid security, steal some goods and get back out. And it's a roguelike, like I said. Uh, I just really liked this one a lot. I thought the concept was great. I thought the art style was really great. Uh, I really liked how they took a lot of time to think about their systems. Um, one of the hooks of this game is that you have a variety of mech suits and each one has like a different special power or two. But then as you play the game, you will often pick up weapons that are um, in the ships. So you may end up finding something that you really like. Maybe you'll find something that you don't like. But that challenge of like trying to work with what you've got is really uh, interesting to me. And I love when it's done well. And this game has like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I, I want to say they have something like 200 different weapons or something. And you would only ever encounter like 10 of them or maybe 15 during a, a run. So it, there was plenty of uh, plenty of variety. And especially when you got different ones each time, how they work together was really interesting. I also really appreciated that for a roguelike, it was actually short enough to be completed in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, I noticed that roguelikes these days tend to be like, like too long because if you're going to play a game that's going to send you back to the start as most of them do you know you don't want to take like an hour or two hours to get through a run because if you die halfway through or three quarters way through and do that all over it's just it's a drag it can be a real big problem and real discouraging uh so these guys this game was hard as balls but once you got <laughs> once you got a groove and once you knew what you were doing and had a good setup and had a good strategy uh you can get through it in like i think maybe like half an hour or maybe even 40 minutes or something, which I think is just about the right time. Like, that's about the most amount of time I want to spend doing a run. Really enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed how, although it was a straight-up action-focused roguelike, you could find these special items that were really, really difficult to get. And if you got these items, not only did they um, give you, like, a gameplay bonus, because that unlocks some of the other suits that you could have, but when you put them all together, they actually told a narrative story in order. So you had to find them all, and when you found them all... It told like this really, really cool story of between you and your crewmates and what happened in the ship and the history of the world. And it didn't get in the way of gameplay. It wasn't you reading a bunch of um, like menu entries. It didn't make you stop the game and tell you a cutscene. Like it just was a really, really elegant way of telling a story, which the game didn't need, but like having it there made it so much better. So I really appreciated all the decisions that Cryptarch made. I found it just really um, engaging all the way through. I mean, you have to like roguelikes because it's definitely a roguelike. But if you like those games, I think this is definitely a really, really well done one and a very different one. You're not a knight. You're not in a dungeon. Um, it's none of the typical stuff like being in space, being in a spaceship in a mech suit was really, really cool. Good spin on this. Uh, good spin on the genre. So Cryptarch, my number eight. really like that one a lot. Moving on. Number seven, Corey Motley, number seven of 2017. What it be? My number seven um, is... Dishonored, Death of the Outsider. I already talked about this a little bit earlier, so I'm not going to say much now. Um, it's basically just more Dishonored, where you're playing as a side character, but it's a standalone experience that's sort of like an epilogue to the entire Dishonored series, kind of. 
Um, but I really liked it. I mean, Dishonored is like a Corey-ass Corey game, so there's very little that Arcane Studios could do to put something out that I wouldn't like. Um, and this is just a classic case of a game uh, in a genre that I like, in a series that I like, and it's just more of it. And I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a good... It streamlined the Dishonored formula a little bit, made things a little bit easier. And, I mean, if you're familiar with Dishonored, it's basically just more Dishonored. But that's good enough for me, and it is my number seven for 2017. Excellent, excellent. I'm actually surprised it was so low. I kind of expected it to be a little bit higher, but... I knew for a fact this was going to be on your list, so I'm glad you got around to it. Uh, my number seven, this may be a little controversial. Oh, boy. Uh, not for us, not with you and me, but I think for people listening, probably. Um, oh, I bet I know what this is. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Number seven, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, I really struggled with even having it on my top ten, and I felt like after all was said and done, the things that it got right, were really, really good, and I did enjoy... I mean, I've, I've played this game all the way through. I did a lot of the extra stuff. I enjoyed my time with it, although there were a lot of things that I feel like it really got just really, really wrong. Um, a lot of the supporting systems in this game don't make sense. They're not well-developed. They don't mesh well with how the game plays. It seems like a lot of these systems were meant for the Wii U to have a second screen, but then when they brought it to the Switch, they took that stuff out so that some of these parts don't really fit together that well. I really fucking can't stand the breakable weapon system. I think it's fucking <laughs> hot garbage. It doesn't work at all. I really dislike it. It's really irritating. And I've played games where the weapons break. Like it's it's not a deal breaker for me, but like they just don't do it correctly in this in this game. It doesn't make sense to where whenever you get a good weapon, you don't ever want to use it because you're scared of it breaking. That doesn't make any sense. That's a bad system. So Zelda does a lot of things wrong, and that's really why it brought it down so far. And like I said, it, it, it almost didn't even make my top 10, but I thought that would have been maybe punishing it a little bit too much. So I do think that it does a lot of good things right, though, because I am sick. I am sick of open world games right now. Hate them. <laughs> but they did a good job on this one. They managed to make it feel interesting and engaging and worthwhile to explore again. And a lot of developers cannot say that these days. Um, I really liked the dungeons and how they split it up between having like four major dungeons and then like a bunch of really teeny tiny bite-sized ones. I liked that quite a bit because it gave you uh, a lot of variety in what you were doing. Like, you know, you weren't just working towards the big ones. It was like you could do a little dungeon, explore a little bit, uh, do another little one, explore a little bit, you know, go back to town, go to the big dungeon. Like it gave you like lots of things to do and kind of kept it fresh. And coming across a teeny tiny little dungeon, uh, like um, I forget what they were called, the temples, I think, or something. Uh, that really like made it worthwhile to explore. So like in that regard, their design of the open world really kind of made sense a lot. So I like that. Um, I mean, overall, oh, also climbing. Climbing is great. I love climbing everything. Every game in the future from now until the end of time needs to let you climb things. And the hang glider was awesome. I mean, you know, I love jetpacks. You know, I love grappling hooks. You know, I love all that shit. I say it all the time on the show. <laughs> and although this is not exactly that, it was close enough for me. Like having that hang glider that you could bust out at any time. It just made things so fun. Like I love just climbing to really tall things and jumping off. And it sounds really dumb, but like, man, it was just so fun to glide and just do that. I mean, just the, the feeling gliding and seeing everything down below you was really nice. So I enjoyed, I enjoyed um, Breath of the Wild. It was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, um, and a lot of things need to be fixed. And honestly, I'm not even sure if I even want to play another one, because after playing one, I mean, 
I, I'm not sure I want to repeat that, that experience. You know, I don't I don't know where Zelda goes from here. I, I wouldn't want to hazard a guess. But if they brought out a sequel that was just like this, but more, I'm not sure that I would want to even play it. But for what it did this year, for the advances it made and for revitalizing the open world genre as as in addition to being like probably one of the Zelda games that I have really genuinely enjoyed playing out of all the ones that have come out in the past recent years, which have been a lot of garbage. Uh, this one really <laughs> brought the series back to its strengths and it was a good game. So number seven for me. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Corey, what is your number six of 2017? All right. My number six is I had this as number five for a while, and I kept like going back and forth on swapping it and the other game for number five. And eventually I stuck with demoting it to number six, which isn't that big of a deal because it's still one of the best games I played this year. But my number six is Echo, which is a game developed by a new studio called Ultra Ultra. This is the third-person tactical action game from ex-Hitman developers where it carries sort of the unofficial tagline of um, however you play the game, you teach the game how to kill you. Um, This is the one where you play as the woman in the really elaborate palace, and as you start to explore the palace, clones of the main character start uh, popping up and... As the palace goes through its waves of being powered up and powered down, the clones learn the, um, the the moves that you do in the phase before it powers down. So, like, if you start running, they'll learn to run. If you start opening doors, they'll learn to open doors. If you shoot your gun, they learn to shoot their gun. And it honestly is the freshest game I played this year, the most original game I played this year. Um, whenever I played it, I felt it very akin to how Superhot felt to me last year, and Superhot was my game of the year last year, and Superhot was, I mean, without a doubt, as soon as I got my hands on it, I knew, like, wow, this is a really special experience. This feels unlike anything I have ever played before, and I think Superhot is better than Echo, so I'm kind of, like, doing an unfair comparison here, but Echo felt that that was, like, this year's Superhot for me. As soon as I started playing it, I thought man, this really feels special. It really feels like something I haven't played before. Um, I really like the mechanics that are going on in it. I like, um, you know, the whole cloning actions thing. It really made you, because on the surface, it looks like just like a third-person shooter or a third-person, like, stealth game. But there's so much more going on under the hood about, you know, how you really have to think about just the pure physicality of your character and how you move her and what moves you want to do and how much of, you know, your hand you want to show because the more stuff you do, the more stuff they're going to be able to do back to you, you know, which is dangerous for you. Um, And it just really made me think about strategy in games in a way that I hadn't really thought about probably ever in a video game. And um, I totally adore this game. The only reason it's number six and not higher is because um, although I loved it, I feel like it's a little bit too long. It wears out its welcome a tiny bit. And some of the story that it sets up very interestingly toward the first half of the game kind of like doesn't go in satisfying places toward the end of the game. And even though I loved it, it just didn't stick with me as much as the other games that I'm going to be talking about that are in my top five. But despite those few negative things I've said about it, I adore Echo. If people ask me, like, you know, casual friends who aren't like super duper into gaming, if they're like, oh, what have you played that you like this year? Like, what's you know, what's kind of like some of your favorite games this year. One of the first games I tell them is always Echo because it's such an interesting and fresh and 
um, original game that feels so unlike anything I played before that it's like the first thing I'm like, oh, have you heard about Echo? You have to play this. It's so interesting. It's just that game for me this year, and I really adore it. Excellent. I love the look of that one. I've been looking at it for a while. I bought it. I played, I think, the first 20 minutes, and then I got distracted with the game I had to do for review, so I haven't gotten back to it. But it's on my PS4. It is downloaded. I got to get back to it. So every time you bring it up, I'm like, oh, I got to get back to it. I got to get back to that. <laughs> I will get back to it at some point. I will get back to it at some point. Um, we will see. Uh, my number six is one that came right at the very end of 2017. In fact, a couple of the games on my top 10 actually came in right at the end, snuck in under the wire, which is uh, one reason why we waited to record this show until well after 2017 was over because you just never know. You just never know. And the last couple weeks, something could pop up and it could be freaking amazing. And then it would change your whole entire top 10. So I'm glad that we waited and did it a little bit late. I mean, not super late. We're still like in the first week or something after the year, but still, (laughs) but that's why. And I'm glad we did because my number six, the count Lucanor, which I talked about on the show recently. This is a very small indie game which was recommended to me by a good friend of the show, Carlos Rodella. Good guy, Carlos. Uh, And this was one recommendation that was super spot on. Basically, it's kind of like a puzzle game played from a a slightly overhead perspective, sort of. And the best way to describe it is it's like a dark fairy tale. It's like a Grimm's fairy tale, but like the old school one where like kids actually died and got eaten and stuff. Like the kind of the fairy tale that was told to like scare children not the one that always had a happy ending at the end. But this was about a boy who uh, leaves his impoverished home and wants to set out in the world and find his fortune. He encounters a castle full of traps with treasure at the end of it, and he feels like he can get through these traps, get the treasure, and then have a happy life, free himself from being uh, the pauper that he was born. Very, very interesting game. It's very small, very compact. I think you'd probably finish the whole thing in maybe four hours, five hours, But there's absolutely zero fat on this game at all. Like, every single thing in this game serves a purpose. Everything has a connection to something else. It seems like a very simple story at first, but there are a lot of moving parts. So depending on what you choose to do, who you talk to, where you go, and in what order, uh, the outcome of the game can vary radically. Um, I really appreciated how complicated and complex it was without being complex. Like, it was very approachable, very simple. Everything is very streamlined and easy to approach, but there's a lot going on. Like, it is definitely not as simple as it appears. The writing was absolutely spot on. It was funny, and it was also creepy, and there were also heartfelt moments. Uh, The game, while it's a 2D sprite-based game, there were moments when I was actually, like, genuinely scared and creeped out, which (laughs) is pretty awesome for a 2D game. And when I got to the ending, I really felt mega, mega satisfied. It was just really a wonderful experience from start to finish. One of the best indies I've played in a while, and I'm really glad I played it. So The Count Lucanor was one that I absolutely fell in love with. I, In fact, I loved it so much, I went and bought the special edition physical card copy because I wanted to have something of it because it was just such a great experience. So the name is a little unusual. Not a lot of people have heard of it, but it is a wonderful, wonderful game. There are physical copies available. Um, if you look for them, I think it's Signature Editions that sells them, and it's just great all the way through. So nothing but the highest praise for... The Count Lucanor, which was my number six. Okay, well, that was Count Lucanor. We're moving on to number five. Corey Motley, what is your number five of 2017? My number five, which I suspect is also going to be on your top list. I also hope it's your top five, but if it's not, or if it's your number five, then that would be kind of neat. 
Uh, my number five is Candleman. Oh, which... what? Number five? I thought this was going to be way higher on your list. No, it's number five. Sorry. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Um, Candleman, this is, I feel like I say this about like half the games on my list, but this is another one of those indies that came out of nowhere that I had no idea what it was, and then I played it, and then I loved it, and that's just how it was. Um, we've talked about Candleman to death on the show because I remain convinced to this day that Brad and I are the only people that have played this game. We, and we, we are. I checked. It is only <laughs> us two. Us two and the developers. That's it. We have been singing the praises of this game since it came out. Um, in case you have not heard us talk about it, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show, or you haven't heard of this game, Candleman is... On the surface, it looks just like a third-person kind of puzzle platformer. It is um, a platformer where you play as a little candlestick with legs, and the trick to the game is that when you hold the right trigger on the controller, the candle goes from being off to the flame lighting, but you only have 10 seconds of candle burn time per level, so you have to kind of be very um, strategic about when you want to spark the flame to light up the area because most of the areas in the game are dark. So you kind of like flick the candle on for a second to get a sense of your surroundings, uh, turn it off, and then you, you know, kind of use your memory to go through and hope you don't fall off a ledge or something, which, you know, occasionally happens. But this game is super charming. It's beautiful. It's like a fairy tale book. It's got a very much of like a children's book kind of progression through it. Um, it's not very long. It's maybe a few hours long, and it is just so just charming and lovely, and the music is beautiful. The game is beautiful. The story is surprisingly mature for how the game looks on the surface, and the game goes... It really has a good crescendo of level design. Like, it starts and kind of, like... A kind of like a, it looks like bowels of a ship where it's kind of like wood and rust and chains and kind of dank and like dripping and you know moist for lack of a better word but in some of the later levels it gets into more like colorful more storybook more whimsical territory and the original ending of the game was really incredible um kind of divisive but they added a DLC chapter or a few chapters after, which basically don't even seem like DLC. It just kind of seems like that they kind of finished the game and like tacked the chapters on later. And I actually loved the original ending so much that I was worried that the new chapters were going to ruin it for me. And it totally didn't. Um, the new chapters are beautiful, very emotional. I just cannot say enough nice things about this game. And... When I was talking about Echo a few minutes ago, um, Candleman and Echo had been fighting for most of the year for my number five spot. Because as soon as I finished Echo, I put it in number five because I thought that originality would trump, um, you know, the the way that I felt about Candleman. But as the year went on, I found that Candleman just stuck with me more. I think about it more often. I think about the way it makes me feel more often because it just left a bigger impression on me. So even though I tend to favor originality in games over, um, you know, a lot of other stuff, I mean, that's a testament to how much I love Candleman because it's, it is just a platformer. It's not like it's really, really new territory for games. I mean, the lighting mechanic aside, but everything else about it is just so beautiful. I love this game so much. And if I were rich, I would buy everyone I know a copy of it so that everybody could experience it. 
but I'm not. So the most I can do is just talk about it on the show over and over and over again and hope that people will play it because it's just a lovely experience. So I think this is probably the only game that you and I have in common on our top 10 list. Um, And actually, I had mine a little bit higher. I had mine at number four. But since we're talking about it now, let me chip in with you now so we don't have to like double up on the coverage. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to second every single thing that you said about Candleman. I love this game so, so much. And, you know, I have a lot of people that I talk to on Twitter. I have a lot of circles that I dip into. I know a lot of folks especially in games journalism circles and nobody nobody has fucking played this game i keep telling people about it i keep saying it so many times i've tweeted it so many times i feel like a total asshole for bringing it up so often but it's like nobody fucking plays candleman you must play candleman i don't know how to get people to play this game i have i mean i just i don't know i brought it up like a number of times during the year it's on my fucking top 10 i've tweeted about it specifically like i just don't know how to get people to play this game i think a big problem is that it started out being Xbox One exclusive, and I guess just a lot of people either don't have Xbox Ones or they just don't care to play on the Xbox One, which I totally get, but this is one of the ones that makes having that box worthwhile. This is one of the best experiences on Xbox One. Um, So, I mean, that was a problem to begin with. I think it was partially funded through the Xbox Indie program, which is why it was exclusive. Uh, I mean, I'm glad it got created, but it's kind of a shame they got locked into that because I think this would have... I don't think this would have been a blockbuster under any circumstance, but I think it would have had a larger splash in the journalist community. I think, like you said, not because it really has a lot of new mechanics or because it really pushes the genre forward, but because the story it tells is so powerful. And that is so crazy because you're a fucking candle with two feet on it. What? Who cares? You're a candle, right? But this story is so powerful. It like totally wrecked me. Before they added the DLC, we talked. We famously talked about this on the show. I was so wrecked after that ending. I had to do a, an interview with the developers to find out what the fuck, you guys. What the fuck? They ended up being really good people. We had a great chat. My article is up on Game Cranks if you'd like to read what we talked about. But it just, it fucking just, oh, it was gut punch, man. It really, it really blew me away. And then the DLC. I'm really glad you told me about the DLC because there was zero fanfare. They had no. PR push whatsoever. Like, I don't even know how you even found it, but like you told me about it and then I downloaded it immediately. And when I went back to play that DLC, you're correct. It just feels like the proper end of the game rather than add on content. And that last quarter of the game was just like, oh my fucking God. Like, I just, I mean, I think I even <laughs> cried. I just felt like so touched and so moved and it was just so powerful. I, I mean, I think out of all the games that I've played this year, I mean, I think this one had the most strong emotional impact with me and i just i just don't know what to do i want to share that with people i want people to play this game i want people to enjoy what i've enjoyed i want people to see what these guys have done i think this is a great game it's a wonderful game and yet no one fucking ever plays it so hopefully people who listen to the show will be motivated to go and get it um one positive note the developers said uh, i was talking to them earlier and they said that they were going to be bringing it to steam I believe either this month, January or next month, February. I can't remember which, but hopefully soon it will be on Steam. And I know a lot more people play on Steam than they do on Xbox One. So hopefully that will help get some eyeballs on this game because it fucking deserves it. This was absolutely one of the best games of 2017. And like, we are the only two people that know. (laughs) Oh, it's so frustrating. I wish people would love this game as much as we love it because this is a very lovable, wonderful, special, special game. So... That was my number four. So when we get to number four, we'll just skip over my section. We'll cover yours. But actually, we're still on number five. Uh, My number five 
is Battleship Brigade. I another one that snuck in right under the wire in uh, December. I love Battleship Brigade. This game is so great. This was another Kickstarter game. This one was about you play a chef from a small town and you want to go to the big city to take part in the Battle Chef competition. You want to eventually be a Battle Chef, which is a chef which not only cooks food, but also goes out and fights the monsters that you kill in order to get the ingredients for the food. Kind of a crazy premise, but it really, really works. It combines very simple 2D side-scrolling action with visual novel narrative, and it also combines match three gems when you do the actual cooking. None of that sounds like it makes any sense or that it works, but it actually totally works. It all comes together so well. The writing is great. The characters are all really super cool and neat and lovable. Like a wonderful cast in this game. A lot of scenes in that game felt very, very real. And like the writers are really in touch with their characters um, to a great degree. I think the gameplay of the match three gems at first, you're like, oh, ho, ho, match three gems, whatever. But as the game goes on and you get different things which modify that gem gameplay, like you can get different uh, tools to use in your kitchen. You can get different ingredients, different things happen. It actually ends up at the end kind of mirroring what real life cooking is like, where it's a really complicated and complex and a lot of things can happen along the way. And as someone who spends a lot of time cooking and who is a pretty good cook, I really appreciated how the gems kind of in an abstract way really do kind of mirror being in the kitchen. So I thought that was a great fit. Um, the 2D combat uh, was very lightweight, but I thought appropriately so. Like I wouldn't have wanted a really heavy like equip a bunch of swords and get a bunch of combos and level up. Like I wouldn't have wanted to do any of that because that's not really the focus of the game. So I think that the amount of combat they had was just fine. It was just enough to get in and out, do the combat, kill some monsters, get some cut cutlets or, you know, giblets or fillets <laughs> or whatever. Take your various pieces of your monster, bring it back to the kitchen. That's all you need to do. And I thought that was great. So overall, everything about Battleship Brigade was, was wonderful. Um, I believe that they didn't quite make their Kickstarter goal, but they somehow made this happen, I think probably through um, the graces of... God, was it Adult Swim Games? Is that who puts this out? I'm pretty sure it's Adult Swim Games. I think they helped them out with some financing and got this game off the ground, and I'm really glad that they did because this game, one of the best experiences I've had this year. I really loved everything about it. Very quirky and weird and unusual, but great. Loved Battle Chef Brigade. So that was my number five. My number four was Candleman, which I just discussed. So we're going to go straight to Corey's number four, and then we'll just continue on. So Corey, what was your number four of 2017? My number four was kind of another left fielder a little bit. Uh, it was The Tea Room on PC. Ooh, The Tea Room. The Tea Room. Uh, this is otherwise known as the Gun Dicks game, which Gun we Dicks. had our whole, our whole podcast about Gun Dicks. But this is the game. It's made by Robert Yang. Uh, I believe he's the only person that worked on it. I think someone else did the music for it. But he is a uh, like a technology and gaming professor in New York and uh, or like a graduate student. I might be getting some of that wrong, but I had his info right in the show that we talked about it. And Robert, in the off chance you're listening to this, sorry if I fuck anything up about this. Um, but he is an indie game dev. He makes a lot of... He's a gay man, and he makes a lot of uh, sort of like gay games. Like, I don't really know how to, how to say that in a better way. But his sort of like... I'm not going to say claim to fame, but like something that he talks about a lot is that... Um, a lot of his games are banned on Twitch because they contain a degree of like sexually explicit material. And so when he made the tea room, this is a game where you play as someone cruising in an outdoor bathroom. And by cruising, I mean 
looking for uh, dudes to hook up with. And you play as a guy who's standing in a urinal and you look out the window and cars pull up and sometimes uh, guys will come in to use the restroom and you have to balance um, looking at them uh, while they're doing their business, um, how much you're looking at them, when to look at them. And after a certain amount of looking at them, they might uh, be enticed to want to have some kind of um, like sexual act with you. And at a certain point, if you succeed and sort of enticing them, they get their dicks out. But in the game, the, uh, the models for their dicks are different guns. So you never actually see any dicks, but they whip their gun dicks out. And then if you entice them enough, they come over to your side of the urinal and you basically lick their gun dicks and you have to hit a bunch of sensitive spots on it in order for the clip in the gun to load all the way. And then once it's loaded all the way, they shoot all the bullets off in their gun dick. And then that counts as a successful encounter. And it sounds ridiculous and it is ridiculous. And this is the kind of game where like, even if you're in your house by yourself playing it, like you're looking over your shoulder because you're like, I don't want anybody to see me playing this game because it's so ridiculous. You're sucking gun dicks in a dirty bathroom. <laughs> but the what really uh, was powerful for this uh, with this game for me is because, you know, surprise, I'm a gay man too. Um, this game was actually a really big history lesson for me because, I mean, despite the fact that I'm a gay man, I have grown up with an, with so much privilege that I there's a lot of like gay rights activism and... Um, you know, sort of like major events in gay and queer history that I never researched or that I wasn't around for and I never felt compelled to research because I um, I just haven't. Like, I haven't done that, which is probably not good for me, but, I mean, I'm being upfront about it. But this game taught me a lot about um, gay culture and about very specific events and uh, and like the history of gay men. And I'm not going to spoil them here if you haven't played it, but if you, if you have, we talked about it on the show where we talked about this game. Um, it goes into some very factual nonfiction um, realms about the history of this bathroom because it was a real bathroom uh, or a real like rest stop or what have you and the stuff that happened there and the history of it. And it really taught me a lot. And I mean, if I were not gay, this game probably would not have... Uh, have rang with me so much because it's just such a strange game. But, I mean, it's one of those games that looks ridiculous on the surface and is ridiculous on the surface. But the more you play it, the more you chip away at the core of what the game is trying to tell you. And once you finish it, it unleashes all this information on you that is just stuff that I didn't know that I probably should have known that was really compelling to me about, you know, the trials of gay men and the history of America. And it's really, it's just really intense. It really stuck with me. And I really congratulate Robert Yang for making this because it's like, it's kind of like, you know, like when a minority gets something, like when we talked about like hair and nah a few, um, a few weeks ago, like that game was made by like a black woman for black women and men, you know, it's like a minority made project for minorities. And so it really rings with them. And this is kind of how that is for me. It's, a game made by a gay man, like kind of for gay men. And it really rang with me and it really taught me a lot about gay culture and about some events in history that I didn't know about. And it's just really special to me. 
You know, that's uh, that's a really good pick. I'm really glad you picked that because uh, I am not gay, but I played that game uh, also for the show. I don't think I played as much as you did, um, <laughs> primarily because of, like you said, I didn't want anybody to see me playing it by looking over my shoulder, and I would be like, oh, my God, what's going on? No, I can't. What? 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 No. But I did tell my wife about it, and she's like, she was kind of mad at me because I didn't actually let her play it. I just kind of played it like, when she was around. She's like, well, maybe I wanted to play that. And I'm like, yes, you, by all means, we will get you hooked up with this game. You can certainly play this game, but... I just, it was very awkward, uh, so I didn't play it as much. But everything that you said makes a lot of sense because even as a straight guy coming to this game with very little context, I could easily see the things that it was trying to communicate and the things that it was sharing. And I mean, I, I mean, it was it was really informative and it, I mean impactful to me in a different way because I could easily imagine what it must have been like. Um, you know, I mean, I, I didn't live through those experiences; those are not my experiences. But I mean, just as a human being, like it made sense to me. So I'm really glad that he did that, and that was a really. Um, Really good experience, so I'm glad that I played that, even if it wasn't exactly my cup of tea. So, good pick, good pick, good pick. And that was your number four, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, sorry we got a little off kilter there because of Candleman, but <laughs> so Candleman was my number four. We just talked about it a second ago, so we are going to move on to number three. Corey, what is your number three? My number three is maybe this is predictable, maybe this isn't. Uh, my number three is Resident Evil Seven which came out almost a year ago exactly. So I'm pleased to say that I played it a year ago and it's still in my top three. But um, Resident Evil 7 is a pretty massive reboot of the Resident Evil universe. I mean, Resident Evil was on fixed camera survival horror roots up until the remake of Resident Evil 1 on GameCube, or I guess Resident Evil 0 maybe technically on GameCube. <clears throat> and then with Resident Evil 4, obviously what some people consider one of the greatest games of all time, it really took off into kind of like a, like kind of like a silly B movie, like over the shoulder camera, radically redesigned gameplay. Resident Evil Four, I adore that game. I've played it dozens of times, um, and then Resident Evil Five and Resident Evil Six took that same formula and basically just cranked it up to even more ridiculous nature. I mean, Resident Evil Six was, it's widely considered one of the low points for the entire series. It features. Um, fighting zombie dinosaurs on rooftops, flying helicopters through, like, Tokyo, and it's totally ridiculous. It's totally playable, because, like, it's pretty silky smooth from a control standpoint, but the game's ridiculous. So Resident Evil 7 was Capcom's attempt at rebooting the franchise into something totally different, kind of like what they did with Resident Evil 4. They took it first person, which, I mean, there's only been a few first-person Resident Evil games before, and none of them have been, like big canon numbered entries and this one it's kind of like whenever Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro made PT in an attempt to make Silent Hills Konami shut that down this was sort of like Capcom saying oh well we can pick up this torch and kind of try to make the game that they were going to make so they made a game that's very much in um, sort of like in line with what PT was doing, where it's like really gritty, dark first person horror. It has a lot of callbacks to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, um, you know, stuff like that that are like classic horror films. Um, and I cannot stress enough that despite the praise that it has gotten, the story in Resident Evil 7 is absolutely awful. I cannot stand the story. I think the characters are all terrible. I think this, the main like plot of the story is totally stupid. I cannot get on board with it at all. I wrote a big thing on Game Critics about it. So if you're interested in my thoughts on that, uh, on that more, I wrote a second opinion piece for it. But that said, the gameplay, 
the minute-to-minute gameplay whenever no story stuff is happening is phenomenal. It is really intense. It's scary. It paces itself in a way that really shows control over the game. It's not constantly throwing enemies at you out of every doorway, like Resident Evil 5 and 6 or like Dead Space or something. It really has quiet moments. And I've probably said this on 10 podcasts before, but I'm going to say it again. In a survival horror game, the only thing that's scarier than a monster popping out at you is a monster not popping out at you, or the only thing scarier than something happening is something not happening. And Resident Evil 7 largely is successful in this way because it has a lot of times where you're just exploring, where you don't know what's around the next corner, where you barely have enough bullets to survive, and you have like your little dinky pocket knife, you know, as backup to try to get through any areas. And more often than not, it works. The story gets in its own way, the writing gets in its own way, but once you hit the stride after the first like hour intro, it really just lets you play it and it goes in a good direction i just really adore this game this is uh, i mean i know pt was my game of the year like three years ago when it came out even though it was just a little demo this is like the best thing i could have expected as sort of like a spiritual successor in a way to pt and i i mean what else can i say the story is crap but the minute to minute gameplay for like 80 percent of the game is just there and it's tense and it's uh it's just it's everything i love it oh man oh man i i picked this up i bought it and i'm still trying to work up the courage to play it but i (laughs) i haven't gotten there yet because i am a very famous uh chicken shit when it comes to scary games (laughs) i mean this is on a lot of top 10 lists and i you know i am a resident evil fan i mean i've played almost all the games in the series it's only recently that I've really kind of lost my taste for being scared. And I, I like lost it like hardcore. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to be scared anymore. <laughs> Real life is scary enough. Thank you. Um, but I, I did pick it up. I mean, I, I really want to check it out. Um, I don't drink. And so I can't like drink and get some courage up and play. <laughs> so I'm going to have to have my wife like sit down with me on the couch. And she's going to have to like hold my hand and like guide me through it. Because I want to play it. It sounds great. But I'm just too scared. But I did I did pick up a copy. Mostly on your recommendation. You uh, had a lot of good things to say about it. So excellent, excellent. Uh, my number three is one that I really, really, really wanted you to play, and I don't think you ever played. Tacoma. Oh, no. Did you ever play Tacoma? Oh, no, I didn't, but I oh. want to so bad. Man, Tacoma, my number three of the year. I loved Tacoma. Uh, as a critic who really loves innovation, creativity, fresh ideas, um, Tacoma really brought it, like, in a big way. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the, the hook to Tacoma is that you're on a space station that is abandoned, and the, the premise, uh, or really like what you're doing, is you are kind of watching recordings of what happened, but you can rewind and fast forward those recordings. It sounds like no big deal, but when you're actually in the space station and you're able to see, like, for example, two people talking, you can watch their conversation and then rewind and see what each person was doing before they got to that conversation. Then you can replay it. Then you can see how what they did beforehand affected what they said. And then after that conversation, you can fast forward and see what happened to them afterwards. And so it lets you see like absolutely every aspect of like what's going on. And you can really put together a lot of pieces that would just be just simply impossible to see in a narrative sense in the past. So this ability to like rewind and fast forward. I mean, it is a revelation in storytelling. I've already seen a couple games um, use this idea in other places. I haven't played them, but I'm seeing it start to pop up. I'm guessing a lot more people are going to steal this idea. 
Although to be fair, I mean, I, I haven't done the research. I, I can't say for sure that Tacoma was the first one to do it. It is the first one that I'm aware of that does it. So maybe somebody else beat them to the punch. But as far as I know, Tacoma was the first uh, game to do it. If I'm wrong, please let me know. Send me an email, correct me. Um, let me know if that's not right. But uh, I just really loved that aspect. It was just, it was really just, just mind blowing when it came to like storytelling, just really added another dimension that was never there before. Uh, also, of course, I mean, this is from Fulbright, so they have a good job on the writing staff. The characters were incredibly human. I really could feel for their situations. Their situations were realistic. It made sense to me. Like I had no problem, um, just coming to grips with what they were going through and everything about it was just really, really wonderful. I'm not a huge walking simulator fan and I wasn't even the biggest Gone Home fan. I think Gone Home had some problems which kind of prevented it from connecting with me on a personal level, but I feel like Tacoma was great. I mean, it really got to the point of what was going on. There was no filler. Everything about it was great. Every minute was meaningful. The ending was great. I mean, just the mechanic was great. Uh, start to finish Tacoma was just a, a, just a wonderful, wonderful experience. So I really liked it a lot and I want you to play this game ASAP, Corey. I am, okay, I'm so sad that I haven't played this, because obviously it's, you know, I mean, I'm the walking simulator fan on the show, so, like, this game's been on my radar since before it came out. It came out as an Xbox One exclusive, and it's not on PS4. I don't know if it's ever going to be on PS4, and I have an Xbox One, but I just have not caught it on a good sale yet, and I'm not really, like, in a financial situation where I can just be buying games left and right, but... Patrick, like I said earlier on the show, he just finished building a gaming PC like a, like earlier this week. And like literally when he got Steam up and running, I put it on my wish list and it'll send him an email if it goes on sale, if it's on the Steam wish list. So whether it's Steam on the PC or whether it's Xbox One, I'm going to play this. And I feel so sad because you played this a long time ago and I know you have been waiting for me to play it so we can have a full discussion about it on the show. And I have let you down and I have not played it, but I'm so happy to hear that it's in your top three because you, every time I talk about walking simulators, I have this idea in my head where you just like roll your eyes and start spacing <laughs> off because here I am talking about another walking sim and that you're like annoyed by them and would never play them. So it just warms my heart to know that this genre that I'm so fond of that you're probably sick of hearing me talk about that they have a game that has landed in your top three for the year. Oh yeah. And I just, I couldn't get over the irony that you're the walking sim guy and you haven't played this one. And I'm the guy that thinks they're boring as shit. And it's in my top fucking three. Like how, <laughs> how ironic is that? How ironic is that? Uh, side note, you should send me your steam, your steam name. So we could, uh, I never play on steam, but you know, we could connect up and be friends on steam. We should do that. That would be fun. I will do that. All right. That, as our those are our number threes. Ooh, ooh, ooh! We're getting close to top the end, two, Corey. Top two. Top two. We're getting into the, <laughs> the good stuff, the real good stuff now. So, Corey, I have absolutely no idea. I am dying with curiosity. What is your number two, sir? My number two game of the year. My runner-up for official game of the year is Arcane Studios: Prey. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. I was waiting. I was waiting. Mm -hmm. It's not my game of the year, but it is right there underneath it. Uh, Prey, I've talked this game to death on the show. It is made by the same studio. I don't think it's made by the same people, but it's made by the same studio that did Dishonor, Dishonor 2, Dishonor Death of the Outsider. So it's very much in the same vein of, you know, first person uh, exploration, combat, 
um, you know, kind of choosing, you know, talking to people, choosing what routes you want to do, choosing how nice or how mean you want to be. And the point of the game is you're on the space station. There was a, a space station that was abandoned for a while, and then it got bought by a company, a private company. Um, the, the plot is so, you know, it's so video games. Like, it is that there was an alien infestation. The scientists aboard the space station were trying to experiment on the alien matter. They, they, you know, went too far with their experiments and, um, you know, and aliens got loose on the space station and basically you're a character who has amnesia because of the uh, experiments you were doing on yourself and you have to basically figure out what's going on, like how, what, what's going on with the station, how did the aliens get out, who can you trust on the station, and I mean, if you told me that plot, I would, I mean, it's like the most video game ass basic video game plot ever, but it's so good. Like, but this is also a Quarry ass game. Like this is exactly what I love in games, being able to explore the environment, being able to really um, dive into the world building, being able to understand all the characters that are on the station, um, you know, having, uh, well, I guess you don't, there's no like dialogue system, but they, it's kind of one of those games where you're a silent protagonist and like they talk at you and then you can like do missions for them and stuff. But I, I mean, the characters are good. The story's good. The exploration, like it's kind of one of those games where when Arcane made it, they basically made it with the intention that anybody who played the game was going to try to break it as much as they could. And so they like thought ahead about that and, really design the space station in a way where you could do anything you know you could get anywhere even if it's through like ridiculous means like you have a gun that shoots these like uh glue globs out that harden and you can like build stairs and ladders with them you know and kind of like climb up to the ceiling and it's just uh, it's just great i mean some of the combat is spotty some of the combat's kind of hard it's one of those games where it's pretty hard when you start but as you get farther and, like, level up more and, you know, kind of, like, a, a get new abilities in, like, a Bioshock kind of way, it kind of gets easier and evens out. Um, and you kind of get on the alien's level at a certain point. But it's just so good. I love this game. And despite it being, like, a AAA game that is kind of similar to some other AAA games that are very successful... I don't think this game was a very big financial success. I don't think a lot of people bought it. I don't think a lot of people played it, but that does not stop me from saying that I totally adore it and it's my number two game of the year and I just love this game so much. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Not my cup of tea, but we did know that this was a Corey ass Corey game. It's CACG <laughs> for short, so we knew this was coming. I'm glad to see it so high in the list. I'm glad that this connected with you. Uh, my number two was actually my number one for a long... My, this was like my number one for like nine months out of the year. And I thought for sure this one was going to like sail all the way through, but it was displaced at the very last minute. Oh uh, but it gosh. is still it is still a wonderful, wonderful game, which in kind of a running theme for us, nobody has played. Nobody has played this game. <laughs> I can think of maybe like two people out of everybody I know on Twitter who played this game. And those people love it as well as I do. So... It's good. We just need to get more people to play this. Number two, Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun. I gushed about this game when we talked about it. I want to say it was January or February. It was a long time ago. So I'm glad that I keep a list because I might have forgotten about it. And I'm glad that I didn't because this game is phenomenal. Um, if you like turn-based strategy and tactics, this one is right at the top because there are so many options, so many things to do, so many details, the environment to interact with. 
Um, you have a team of ninjas and uh, uh, one samurai as well. And uh, you can do all these different things. Everybody has their own skill set. Everybody has different moves, different weapons. And you can mix and match those in some levels to kind of make your way through these feudal Japan areas. Uh, also, some levels challenge you by restricting you to certain characters. And so you may have to use skill sets that you're not really uh, too comfortable with. But each one has its own strength. Uh, so the tactical gameplay is really, really deep. The environmental design is like A+. The, the levels are huge, but they're they're never huge for being just huge. I mean, they're huge for reasons. There's always multiple paths. There's always multiple um, stages to each level. So like once you clear one area, um, you kind of move on to the next. And so it gives you like a good feeling of progression. So it's not just throwing you into like a big area just to have you wander. I mean, there's a rhyme or reason to all the stuff that they do. Uh, the thing that really put it over the top for me, and, and, and just on that alone, it would have been very high already because I'm a tactics fan. I love uh, games that really get that genre right. And this one gets it so right. So, so right. Um, but the thing that really put it over the top for me was they really went the extra mile by having a fantastic script. The dialogue between the characters is phenomenal. Like they sound like, well, okay. I mean, they're ninjas in feudal Japan. They're on this crazy quest. So like, it's not just like normal everyday problems, but when they talk to each other, like they seem like real people. They have defined personalities. You can tell who's who just by what they say. The way that they interact with each other is really interesting. And the way that one person talks to one uh, member of the group is different than how they talk to another person of the group. Like they have this kind of history that builds up over the campaign. And by the time you get to the end, like there are some really, like really powerful emotional beats. Like I think most strategy games tend to really ignore the story side or just do something really perfunctory. You know, oh, the general's got a army massing over here. Go take him out. Or, you know, oh, we got to get these resources, blah, blah, blah. They give you just enough to keep you moving. But they actually tell a really compelling story in this game. I really liked it a lot. I I was very emotional. And I can't say that I've ever been emotional about a tactic team before. I mean, I've been mad about tactic teams. You know, somebody dies. Like in XCOM, some guy, your best sniper gets taken out by some freak chance. That pisses me off, but it's not emotional <laughs> in the way that this was emotional. This was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that just happened. Oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. Like, what's going on? Why, you know, like, I've never really felt emotional the way that I have over these characters. I love this group of ninja um, I thought they were just wonderful and spending time with them was great. And everything about this game is just really, really polished. I mean, the UI is great. Um, the reload and save function was really great because they know you're going to be dying a lot because this game is really challenging. So they made it really painless. Um, they make it really easy to experiment with the formula. I mean, just everything about it is just 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 chef's fingers. It's really, really great. Um, so I got nothing but good things to say about it. I wish more people played it. I don't think these guys sold very many copies, um, which is a shame because these guys fucking nailed it. Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun, number two. And it was my number one for like, like I said, like literally the majority of the year, this was my number one by like a mile. So it has just recently been displaced. Um, but before we get to that, let's get to your numero uno, the big enchilada, top dog, Corey Motley. What is your number one? Hold on, before before we get into number one, yes, I just yes, want to yes. say that I hope that if they ever release <clears throat> like a game of the year edition or something of Shadow Tactics, I hope that right on the front cover of the game is a pull quote, and it says, quote, everything about this game is chef's fingers, unquote, <laughs> Brad Galloway. <laughs> they can use that. If you guys are listening, Me, Me, Me Productions, feel free to use that. You can have that for free. Go for it. That would be great. Because, man, this oh, game is fucking gosh. chef's fingers times 10. It is amazing. 
Well, okay, so now, okay, we're down to number ones, and <clears throat> I'm trying to think about what your number one is, and I know as soon as you say it, I'm going to be like, oh, duh, of course that's what it is, but I can't think of what your There can only one be one is. thing, Corey. You already know what it is. You, there, uh, there can only be one. There is no other. There is no other. I cannot <clears throat> believe that I can't think of what your number one is. You're going you're gonna to feel really embarrassed after i tell it to you but at the same time i think there's a really good reason as why you don't know what it is but we'll get to that in a second let's get to you first man number one what's your number one all right my number one my official Corey motley game of the year is <clears throat> surprise it is a walking simulator it is what remains oh i knew finish. it i knew it i knew it i knew it all right I, when this game, I think this game came out in like June or July or something, a lot of buzz. It was one of those indie darlings, you know, everybody's saying, oh, it's so powerful. It's so great. I love it. Um, and you know, the game's right up my alley. It's a walking simulator. It was part of Sony's like indie games of summer bullshit or whatever they call it. And I bought it, um, and I played it and I loved it. Um, I wrote a review on Game Critics for it. This game is just... I mean, I cried three times playing it, and it's only, like, two hours long. So, I mean, that's certainly saying something. The game is about a young woman who spent part of her childhood in the Pacific Northwest growing up in this, like, really elaborate house. Um, like, really kind of tall, really kind of janky, like, old house in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, her grandmother, who owned the house, uh, passes away and as part of the will or part of, you know, that kind of thing, uh, the young woman gets a key to the house and she goes back to the house. She hasn't been there in a really long time, uses the key to get in and just kind of explores the house. And, um, and like every room in the house is kind of like themed for the person who used to live there for one of the people in her family that used to live there. And the game does a really great job of mixing, you know, just the really like kind of like simplistic first-person exploration about just walking around the house, uh, you know, discovering new things with uh, sections of gameplay that take you out of the house that where you play as um, through like segments of members of the family. And each of those segments is completely different than the last one. It is completely different than just walking around the house as Edith Finch and uh, they just feel fresh and they feel innovative every time you know, one of those segments comes up and they're more often than not really touching and really warm and really sincere. Some of them are incredibly sad and incredibly exhilarating. And I mean, on the surface, you know, it doesn't sound like much. You're a woman, you're a young woman exploring a house, but it just has so much heart. It is, it has, it's very sad. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of happy, fun stuff that happens in the game, but there's also a lot of really depressing stuff. And I'm a sucker for, you know, depressing stuff in games and movies, you know, and, and books. Um, I like to feel sad in that way. And this game just hit all the right notes for me. The story is really well done. The voice acting is phenomenal. I mean, it really sells it. The setting is interesting. It's just like the perfect little concise adventure that keeps you interested that keeps you emotionally invested that steps out of the bounds of walking simulator just enough to feel fresh and innovative to where you're not just walking around and looking at things and man it's my game of the year i love this game i think it's phenomenal and i 
hope that if you haven't played it yet and if you're interested in playing it that this you know maybe this speech is what will sell you on it but i just adore this game so much really sticks with me incredibly sad but just so warm and sincere at the same time excellent pick excellent pick i've seen uh, quite a number of people hold that one up as one of their favorites this year too so i know that you are not alone um that is a uh very significant one for a lot of people. Um, not for me particularly, but I know that you loved it a lot, and I see it getting a lot of love. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad we got to cover that one. I know you uh, were a big fan. Um, so <clears throat> now my number one. You know what this is already. Uh, and I'm kind of... I don't want to say that I'm cheating a little bit, but I had to... <laughs> I had to really think about, like, what made Game of the Year for me. Like, what my criteria were, what was important to me. And this is the first time in a long time as a critic. I mean, I've been doing games criticism for probably what is it now 18 so 18 years i started in 2000 so i've been doing this for 18 years um and i've had basically the same criteria back then that i do now but i felt like games have changed so much and the industry is so different and times are so different that maybe it's fine to kind of revamp what i think about games or how we should do this thing so my number one choice of the year a game that I've played basically every day since I started playing it. A game that I've probably put more than 200 hours into. A game that I'm wearing the hat of, wearing the shirt of, have statues of. I know what this is. A game a game that is so dear to my heart that we added a new segment to the podcast just so I could uh, keep talking about it. I cannot believe I forgot this. That's right, Corey Motley. It is Warframe, my number one uh. game of 2017. Now, <laughs> I don't blame you for not thinking about this because this is not a 2017 specific game, and I'll tell you why I chose it. Uh, this game originally debuted four years ago, and in that state, it was not a great game. I, like I said before on the show, I downloaded and tried this game at least three or four times before, and I deleted it every single time. Did not click, did not click, did not click. Um. But it finally got into great shape this year, four years after launch. And what made me choose it was because that's how games are these days. And I think if you look at any game, and in fact, we've said many times on the show, the best time to play any game is at least a year after it launches, right? Like they fix the bugs, they fix the balancing, they get feedback from the fans, there's DLC, etc., etc. Anytime you play a game when it first launches, that is the worst that game is ever going to be. It is the worst version of that game. I mean, that's just a fact. It's just true these days. That's not how things used to be, but that is definitely how they are now. And so with that in mind, I was thinking, you know, it's not like Warframe is just still available. I mean, it's not like the servers are still running and that's it. I mean, these guys are actively developing. They put out a huge content patch this year. They're constantly balancing. They've got really high community engagement. They're running multiple events every year. This is like still a living, breathing game that has really high engagement and anytime I go online, it takes like 0.1 seconds to find people to play with. Like this game is super popular right now and has been for four years. And when I looked at it from that perspective of something that is still alive and still breathing and still viable, I kind of had a hard time not justifying it because this is the best it's ever been. And for me, this has been by far my best experience of the year. Like I, like I said, I put 200 hours into it. It's a family game. I play with my wife and son. I mean, there's so much you can dig into. I mean, I just, I literally play it like every single day and I just have the best time playing it. And I mean, that is by far um, just a really special thing that I felt like I had to call out. I mean, on top of that, I think it's notable for other reasons too. I mean, the art direction is fantastic. I think it's really fun and very kinetic to play. It gives you a lot of bang for your buck in a short period of time. So if you are a time strapped gamer like I am, you can get a lot done in a short amount of time, which I think is very valuable. Also, I think it's worth noting 
that these guys do microtransactions properly where none of it is necessary to play the game. It's almost all cosmetic, but if you want to chip in money, you can. You don't ever need it to advance, which I think is wonderful. A lot of developers and more specifically publishers could really take some hard lessons uh, from Warframe on the microtransaction front this year. Also, this is probably the only game in existence where I've actively wanted to play with randos. I mean, I usually shut all that multiplayer stuff down immediately, shut off all the chat, shut off all the matchmaking. But that is not true in this case. This is the case where um, I actually want to play with people all the time. And that's that goes for my wife as well. My wife is notoriously um, against playing online with people. She hates playing online with people. Actively hates it. And I had a hard time convincing her to let us play uh, on the open matchmaking at first. She was like, she thought it was fucking crazy. Uh, didn't want to do it. But once I um, got her to do a couple rounds... Uh, she came around. She leaves hers on public all the time now, too. I mean, the chat is still turned off. I mean, we're not crazy people. We don't we don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> but playing with people without the chat is a great experience, really positive. And this is the first game that I've, I can ever really say that about. So between the massive amount of content, the really satisfying quest, the wonderful storyline, which I talked about in an earlier show, I mean, the amount of time I spent on it, the amount of um, uh, good experiences I've been getting out of it. I mean, everything, I mean, like I said, I, I, we added a fucking segment to the show so I could keep talking about this game over and over and over. <laughs> I, I could not pick anything other than this for my game of the year. And despite the fact that it was not launched in 2017, I think it reflects on the nature of the industry that in 2017, that is when this game became the best experience that it has been. And it has also been my best experience this year. So this was the only choice I could have made. I know it's a little bit of a trick, and I didn't mean to pull one over on you. I wasn't trying to pull a fast one. I totally understand why you didn't know what it was, but this is the only thing it could have been. My number one for 2017, Warframe. I, in retrospect, of course, of course it would be Warframe, and I totally understand, and I feel like <clears throat> I'm trying to decide what I would have done if I had been in your shoes because I... I will rank games that are old in my list if I play them, if they're like Definitive Edition releases or Game of the Year Edition or HD Edition or whatever the hell they call them. But um, I feel like that because Warframe had such a big content update this year and had like a massive sort of like overhaul of like adding new stuff and everything that I don't begrudge you one bit for picking a game that is not technically a 2017 release for your Game of the Year and... I'm happy that you've been so happy with the game, and I'm glad that you're calling it your game of the year. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I am glad uh, to hear your selections as well. I think this has been a very interesting, and as we said at the beginning, very diverse selection of games. I mean, we only really doubled up on one. Uh, I think that's pretty amazing, and I think that we each selected some really, really quality software. I'm really glad that we picked the ones that we picked. So I'm, I'm very happy with our top 10. What about you? I am too, and although we do not crown a so video games game of the year by default it is Candleman because we both chose it so if someone wants to consider that the so video games game of the year then that would i guess kind of technically be it yeah you know i think you're right i cannot argue with that and i think that's actually very appropriate i mean i think it's something that we both loved a lot and it's really indicative of the qualities that we kind of strive for on the show so i think that you are correct that would be a the best best possible pick if we had to pick one for the year. So maybe I'll tweet that to the developers and let them know that. That'll, <laughs> that'll put a little spark in their day. I know they could use a little more love thrown their way these days. So those, folks, were our top 10, top 10 of 2017. Hopefully you've played some of these. If you haven't played some of these, hopefully you will play some of these. We hope that we have uh, broadened your horizons a little bit. But the show is not quite over yet. 
Although we covered our top 10, we asked our listeners and followers to give us some of their picks. Um, top 10 is too many. So we asked them to give us their top three and one awful one, the worst one. So we wanted best games and one worst game from 2017. And we had some really good responses. Unfortunately, we can't read them all, but we'll read as many as we can. And we got some really interesting picks. So let's go through these, these uh, picks. And I think that'll take us to the end of the show. Corey, would you like to read the first one? I would love to. Our first one is from Flame Roast Toast on Twitter, which is an excellent Twitter name. Um, top three is uh, Breath of the Wild, Resident Evil 7, and Super Mario Odyssey. And there was no worst game from this list. It's all positive for Flame Roast Toast this year. I respect that. Uh, next one comes from Asrealist, a frequent listener of the show. Uh, he picks, ooh, Warframe, yay, ooh. Warframe, Elder Scrolls Legends, the card game, and Gwent. So, okay, he's got some interesting picks. I, you know, honestly, just to side note a little bit, I thought, based on how many people were losing their shit over Gwent when The Witcher 3 was out, that the Gwent card game would be so huge. And that game, I think, is out in, like, a pretty full-featured beta, and I haven't really heard anybody talking about it. I think they had a tournament, even? Recently, like with cash prizes and shit, I don't hear anybody talking about Gwent. And that was all I heard about when The Witcher 3 was out. Do you hear anybody talking about Gwent these days? I don't, but I'm totally also not in like card game circles at all. Oh, uh, well, what I just thought it was really interesting that it was like I, I could not stop hearing about Gwent. And now that Gwent is a thing, I don't hear about it anymore. So, oh, well, whatever. What's <laughs> the uh, what's the next one, Corey? All right. Next up, we have. R.S. Hunter, 88. Uh, top three is Night in the Woods, Super Mario Odyssey, and Steam World Dig 2. And the worst is Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh, okay. Kind of mirroring some of our choices there. Next one, Real EDC 30, who chooses as the best Horizon Zero Dawn, Breath of the Wild, and Persona 5. And the worst is Valkyria Revolution, which I heard was a real stinker. So, okay. <laughs> uh, next up is Trashylvania, which is another good Twitter name. Uh, faves in order are Near Automata, Hellblade, Sinuous Sacrifice, which uh, that is one of those games I need to play so bad. And I, I got to play it too. I bought it and haven't played it yet. We'll oh, talk you about bought it. it and haven't played it, you jerk. When you, when you, when you play it, <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll save it and we can talk about it at the same time. All right, good. Because if it's if it hits a good sale or something, I will okay, buy it. Let me but, know. Uh, but anyway, near uh, Hellblade and Breath of the Wild, and then uh, his worst pick was Has Been Heroes or Shadow of War. All right. Next one comes from NES Frogman, who, <laughs> who said picking a top three is hard. So he had no picks for top three, but he said the, wor <laughs> the worst is NBA Playgrounds. So okay, respect that too. Right on. <laughs> Uh, next up is Post Rocker NL. Uh, number one is Hellblade. Again, reinforcing I that I need to play this game. Yep. Uh, number two is Wolfenstein 2. And number three is Last Day of June. Oh, that hey, makes me really happy to hear that because I like June. Last Day of June. Yay. Right uh, and wor worst is Destiny 2. <laughs> <laughs> next one comes from good old Drew Brew 82. I love that name because it's just, it rhymes so well. You know, it's got that like. <laughs> That sound just sounds good to say it. Drew Brew 82. Like it's fun. It's fun to say that name. I like that name. Uh, best Horizon Zero Dawn, Super Mario Odyssey and Destiny 2. Worst, probably one of those PSN plus games. <laughs> Drawn to Death or Tokel? 
T-O-Q-U-E-L. I think I, I think I know the one he's talking about. But Drawn to Death. Oh, what a shit show. Drawn to Death was. was so bad. That was offensively bad. It was really bad. Okay. Cool. Oh, my God. Moving on. Moving on. All right. Next up is good friend of the show whose name I never pronounced correctly. Uh, the Twitter handle is Louis Phil. Louis Fietro, I think maybe is how you pronounce it. Um, I think you got it. I think you got it. I hope so. If not, you know, just correct us for the 600th time because I mispronounce it every time probably. Uh, (laughs) First up is Nier. Next is uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, Funny. My my worst and my best game of the year, both on his top list. Um, And Little Nightmares, which I know is a game that you really liked, Brad. Um, uh, Says he wished he'd played more. Worst game is Double Dragon 4. Mm. You know, speaking of Little Nightmares, did you ever get around to that? I did. I feel like did we talk about it on the show? I remember we talked about it. Did you, you didn't like it that much though, did you? I liked it, but it wasn't. I mean, it's ranked seventeenth out of the twenty-seven games I finished this year. Okay, that's fair. So I mean, it was fine. It wasn't like offensively bad or anything, but it was just like fine, I guess. Gotcha. I was a big fan. I keep meaning to come back for the DLC. I just haven't made time for it, and people tell me the DLC is not as good as the main game, so. That's kind of a bummer. But I did really like the main campaign. I thought that was a neat campaign. Um, next one comes from Severin Mira, who picks Xenoblade 2, Danganronpa V3, which, oh, I got to totally get to Danganronpa V3. I got to get to that. <laughs> Persona 5, and the worst, Dark Rose Valkyrie. But then it comes with some notes saying that they could easily swap out Persona 5 for Utaware Rumono, Mask of Truth, or Divinity Original Sin 2. And also, as a bonus, terrible one, the Caligula effect. So, yeah, I I don't play a lot of Japanese-centric stuff these days, but I have actually played some of these, and I agree with his, uh, his poo-pooing of the Caligula effect. That was not a good game. So, <laughs> moving on. What's the next one, Corey? Uh, this is from Jscarp, uh, an RPG-centric... Centric? No, just centric. Centric list. Uh, first, or number three because these are in reverse order, is God Wars Future Past. Number two is Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, the third. That name is so absurd. That sounds like a game you would be playing, Brad. And <laughs> number one is yeah, Yakuza 0. And uh, not the worst, but most disappointing, he says, was Persona 5. And he also notes that he's still playing Nier and Horizon, and those could crack the top three. Could crack the top three. Next one comes from... Uh, frequent listener uh, Michael London, who says, best games I played in 2017 are, ooh, What Remains of Edith Finch, another oh, vote for yeah. Finch. And then he goes VR, swings hard into VR, Thumper VR, and another one of your favorites. Well, maybe not. You haven't played Super Hot VR, have you? I have played Super Hot VR. And you liked it, right? Yeah, we talked about this on the show. Okay, we did talk about this show. I, I'm old. I can't remember, dude. So he loves Thumper VR and Super Hot VR and Edith Finch. So this is a very this is a very Corey friendly list. This That's is, a very me list. Yeah. You guys are in sync. And then the worst he picks is Trine Two, which I heard was a disaster. Uh, next one, Corey. Uh, next one is from Upsello. Uh, top three, which he admits is also oriented to me. Uh, Super Hot VR, yay for that. Prey, also yay whoa, for that. And whoa. Dishonored Death of the Outsider, whoa, once again, whoa. yay for that. These are, are some you, good is this ass you? picks. Did you, is this you? Is Upsello your Twitter name? <laughs> this is my uh, <laughs> secret identity or something. Alter ego. <laughs> and then his worst, but mostly just overblown, is Fortnite. What do you have to say about that, Brad? Uh, Fortnite started strong, but it it fell into that whole microtransaction bullshitty kind of thing. And <laughs> 
it, it actually ended up not really being very fun. And they actually, ironically, they they pivoted towards doing the um, PUBG thing. So I think that the PUBG mode they added is actually a lot more popular than the main mode. Um, I think that's actually their, their most popular mode overall. So that's kind of a weird, weird turn of events. But yeah, I don't play Fortnite anymore. I liked it. And one of the things I liked about it, just to diverge for a second, one of the things I liked about Fortnite um, was that their character design, they had a lot of plus-size women uh, that you could choose from to be, which I thought was cool. A lot of representation um, for bigger girls, which I think, you know, so often is left out or made fun of. And just about bigger people in general, I think, are not really well represented in games. So it was cool to see some that were presented as cute and fun and, like, viable characters. That was really neat. So props to that for Fortnite. But as far as the game goes, I kind of, I dropped off it pretty quick. So anyway... Next one comes from Finder, and he chooses number one, Robo Recall, uh, which is a VR game. Little known VR game, but one of our writers at Game Critics did pick that as one of their top 10 of the year. So that's at least two people who like Robo Recall. Number two is Player Unknown's Battleground. First mention of that on this fucking show. I thought uh, somebody would pick that one, but uh, there you go. There's at least one. And hey, number three, he picks Shadow Tactics. Hooray. Yay. Worst. Gang Beasts, which I went off on a rant about a couple episodes ago. That game sucks, so I'm glad that he didn't like it either. <laughs> that game sucks. <laughs> Next one, Corey. All right, this is from Brood Wars 64. Uh, best Resident Evil 7, Hand of Fate 2, and The Evil Within 2. Uh, also notes that he has not played Persona 5 or Xenoblade 2 yet. Uh, worst pick uh, says, probably not the worst game I played this year, but definitely the one I have the most negative feelings toward is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And there are some liner notes here for this tweet. It's boring, empty, tedious, and soulless. It's pure quantity over quality. It has a villain that does nothing the entire game. Terrible and nearly an identical, or nearly a identical generic dungeons and nearly non-existent music. Completely lacking in passion, just cold, calculating mechanics brad i haven't played breath of the wild i probably never will but what do you think about those statements wow wow i mean that's i mean he's dropping the fucking hammer on zelda right there i mean i <laughs> i had problems with zelda but i don't think i i don't think i had as many problems as he did i mean i can i definitely get where he's coming from and i have heard a few people um really really bounce off of it pretty hard i i get that like i get where he's coming from Especially like if you're maybe, you know, I don't know if he is or not, but if you're if you're tired of open world games or if you're just kind of tired of the Zelda thing in general. Uh, I mean, I respect what he's saying. I didn't feel as strongly as that. But, you know, with me having it as number seven, there's definitely some problems, although it still delivered a good experience. But wow, to pick it as the worst man, he does not like that Zelda game. Leave that alone. <laughs> uh, next one comes from Nicholas Paul, man. What's up, Nick? He picks Day of Infamy, which he sees as the best modern World War II shooter at the moment. He picks Poi, which is a Mario 64 clone. He picks Star Crawlers, which is a space punk dungeon crawler and his personal favorite of 2017. And the worst is Hello Neighbor. Did we, did we talk about Hello Neighbor on the show? We didn't. I saw you tweet about it, but we have not discussed it. Oh, I keep meaning to talk about that because I fucking hate Hello Neighbor. That is a garbage <laughs> game. Um, so Nick says, Hello Neighbor. I was a bit hyped about but it just didn't deliver. Bugs and the AI was only standard at best. I love the aesthetic look of a Saturday morning cartoon, but it lost its charm in two hours. And that's being generous. I was done with that game in like 20 minutes. It's interesting because that game had a lot of hype. Uh, in the, I don't know, the alpha process or whatever. Like, I saw a lot of people, especially in the indie scene, getting really excited about it. I saw a lot of streamers covering it. 
my son had really high awareness of it because that was um, in the circles that he was traveling in with his uh, younger oriented gamer kid friends. Like everybody was really tuned into Hello Neighbor. It has like a deal with Xbox. It's got plush toys. It's got like some supporting merchandise. That game is crap. That game is terrible. And I can't <laughs> believe they're cashing in on on this game like as, as well as they are. I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, fair play to them for making money off this game, which I think is a pile. But I just I'm so surprised that. I mean, there's plush figures, Corey. There's plush figures in this game, which is a, like a garbage <laughs> game. I, how'd this guy get this deal? How are people excited about this game? I don't know. So anyway, anyway, I yeah, uh, I, I feel that, Nick. Hello, neighbor sucks. I'm right with you. Corey, next one. All right. Last but not least, um, our last entry is from Morbid Beard. Um, I'm not sure it makes a beard morbid, but here we are. Uh, top three. Number one is Nier. Number two is Hellblade. Number three is Little Nightmares, and worst game is The Evil Within 2. And he says, story and gameplay for Evil Within 2 felt far too derivative. It could have had any name slapped on the front cover, and I'd have been none the wiser. Unoriginal enemy design was the final nail, which makes me feel a lot better about not playing that game, nor do I ever plan on playing it. That's interesting because I saw a lot of people pick it as their surprise like win for the year. Um, I know that The Evil Within 2 didn't really do too well and a lot of people didn't like it. And uh, people were ready for this one to be crap. But I saw I saw a fair number of people say that this was a good game. Um, I'm probably not going to play it because I will use up all of my horror mojo on Resident Evil 7 yeah. uh, when I finally get enough built up. But yeah, I don't know. Um, what he's saying kind of makes sense to me. And I, I, I wonder if maybe people were giving it just like oh, you're not terrible anymore, therefore we love you, kind of a kind of a little bounce, like a little bump, because the first one was so bad in comparison. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so anyway, those are the last of our comments. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. A lot of really interesting picks. Uh, my favorites were the ones that agreed with us. Those are always the best ones. <laughs> and, <laughs> and believe it or not, this brings us to the end of our 2017 Game of the Year Spectacular. Wow. This has been some episode, has it not, Corey Motley? <laughs> yes, it has been everything I hoped and dreamed that it would be. And more? And, yeah, and more, I think. A little more, a little more. Not too much more, but a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed our look back at 2017. I know that we have. Uh, we will be back next week with our usual assortment of games, chatter, and personal banter. But... In the meantime, please remember that you, dear listeners, can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you would like to. We like to hear from you. We will read your comments. I swear to you, we will. You will not be sending an email into a void. We will read all of them, so please send them in. You can reach us, email uh, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us uh, up at gamecritics.com after the show is posted there. We are also on Twitter as a collective show, at SoVideoGames. And you can reach us individually. Corey, what is your Twitter handle? Mine is my first and last name. Surprise, surprise. It's Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. All right. And mine is my name. It's Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's and no O's. And with that, that brings us to the end of another So Video Games. And, I mean, probably the last time we're going to be talking about 2017, I guess. So, I suppose we'll see you next week. This is Bye from Brad. And this is Bye from Corey. Thanks for listening, guys. 